Podmortem would like to thank Original Cinematic for sponsoring this week's episode. Original Cinematic is an independent production company that has made it their mission to create, produce, and promote films that are inclusive, honor women, promote the LGBTQIA community, and provide prominent positions and roles to POC actors and filmmakers, and promote the films of marginalized and underrepresented populations. These are all things that are extremely important to our podcast as well. Original Cinematic is currently accepting scripts and treatments. Both William and Zena Rush are also available via email or Zoom to discuss writing and provide input and resources to all aspiring writers, free of charge. Their information will be made available in the show notes. Original Cinematic has multiple exciting projects on the horizon. Their next film, Immersion, is slated for release in early 2024. Upcoming films, Fetish, Sweetener, and Run, and their documentary, Drag, The Most Targeted Art Form, are anticipated for 2024 releases as well. Their new award-winning film, Group, is currently on the festival circuit, and very generously, Original Cinematic will be providing a link for patrons to screen the film on Zoom. It is truly an honor to partner with Original Cinematic, and we can't thank them enough for their contribution to our show. And now... Back to our regularly scheduled program. Salutations! Welcome to Pod Mortem. I'm Renee Hunter Vasquez, joined as always by my co-host, my husband, and my brother. Hi, I'm John Paul Vasquez. Hi, I'm Travis Hunter. This week, we are recording live from a hole in the wall discussing the 2020 psychological horror film, His House. His House was directed by Remy Weeks, with a screenplay by Weeks, and a story credited to Felicity Evans and Toby Venables. In his first feature film, Weeks tells a chilling story that seamlessly blends the psychological with the supernatural. Ripe with themes of grief, trauma, guilt, and the plight of immigrants and asylum seekers, his house is an exercise in both fear and empathy. This film was requested to us by friends of the show, Pierre Lombard, Carly, Sophie Hodson, Eggie, Deontay L. Harris, Karima Rhodes, Naomi, and Beth Bauer. We want to thank them all for their support as well as this suggestion. So what did you guys think about his house the first time you saw it? I can't remember the exact year we watched it. I know we watched it on Netflix. I know you told me to watch it with you. Mm -hmm. And I remember really, really liking it. Watching it for the show and getting to analyze it a little more and kind of pay, pay better attention just me and the movie I really, really, really like the movie. It's very tough. Uh, there's a lot of hard moments to watch, and uh, but it the acting is fantastic. Everything, the setting is minimum. Mm-hmm. We're in one place a lot. Yeah, but it doesn't take away from the impact that you feel in certain scenes or what's happening. Like, it's like, oh, I didn't even pay attention. We're in the living room again. Yeah. It's like, oh, shit. You know, just stuff's going on and you're engrossed in that. Um, There is a 
not really any comedy here. <laughs> no. No, no, no. So no. Uh, that didn't make it a little harder. But again, fucking amazing movie. I remember the first time I watched this, it was during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And so really any pandemic era film that I watched, it is bits and pieces that I recall. Yeah. And so rewatching it again for the show, I recall several moments that just kind of stick with you. Mm-hmm. But I had forgotten the twist that we're leading towards. Right. I forgot a lot of it. And so I just remembered coming away from it the first time being like, oh, this is an incredibly well-made film Mm -hmm. that is something that is special. Yeah. And very just not only frightening, but emotionally effective. Mm -hmm. And then reviewing it and rewatching it for the show, you kind of dig into it a little even deeper. Yeah. And you see even more and you feel even more. I just, um, I really enjoyed it. I, Really appreciate films that are effective both as just a out-and-out horror film Mm -hmm. and effective as social commentary. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like this does both so well. Mm -hmm. It has so much to say. There's a lot of about um, assimilation, about otherness in society and culture. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I think that they're at least in some sh- sections is quite a bit of an indictment on institutions and government. Yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, there's, there's a lot here. And then on top of all that, it's frightening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's full of sequences that are just so incredibly realized and visually dazzling mm-hmm. as they are also completely heartbreaking and shattering. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, there's so much going on here. Um, I think there is maybe one moment of levity I counted. Just one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's, it's heavy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty heavy. Um, but I mean, you know, you're, you're telling a story not only about a haunted house, but about haunted people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is something that we talked about a little bit on session nine. Yeah. Just last week. Mm-hmm. And so this isn't a theme, but it's continuing. Yeah. And it is a very interesting use of this haunted house subgenre to tell a story like this. And I think another aspect of it that is very fascinating is the idea of good people. Yes. Because it is said in a line very early on, and it kind of feels like just something... Um, important for this character to say in the moment, but you realize the weight of it as the film continues. Right. And there's just this, uh, I don't know. It's, it's very, it's very good. Yes. It's very good. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, I think that there is this struggle in the heart of it. That's kind of this feeling of being torn between who people want you to be and your own identity as well. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there's, it's a, there's a lot to be said. There's a lot to be seen, and um, on top of all of these things, it's also pretty damn scary. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with both of you. The first time that I saw it was with John Paul, and we watched it during the pandemic. So like you said, T, I remembered liking it, Mm -hmm. but I did not remember. I remembered a couple visuals, and that was kind of it. But watching it again, it's it's, everything that y'all said. It is tragic. It's scary. It's very thought provoking. And like I had said at the top, it is supposed to be, you know, eye opening in terms of what people are going through. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later on, but it it is very heavy. Uh, and twists and turns that I did not 
see coming in the slightest. No. And I think that anybody who says that they did, you're lying. <laughs> I'm sorry to tell you that, but no, you didn't. So very good to just call out the listener at the, <laughs> at the top. None yeah. of our listeners were saying that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I had went into this. I, I knew nothing about it um, except that Wound Me Masaku was in it. And I find her just amazing. Mm-hmm. I think she's fantastic. And, um, but yeah, I was, it's, it's very unique, not only in the story that it tells, but in the way that it tells the story. And we get these really amazing moments of like surrealism that I just live for. I love shit like that. And it is just very shocking to me that this is his first feature film. I agree completely. I know that he also worked on some commercials and some shorts. Yeah. But to see this as such a confident first feature, yeah. I think we do clearly add him to this list of Must Jordan watch. Peele, yeah. Rose yeah. Glass, Ari Aster, Robert Eggers, these very confident first features that will lead you to, oh, Remy Weeks is attached? Okay. I'm in, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It, it just, there's a very skilled hand in, in what's being done here. And I watched a lot of interviews and they said that he was very... um well, this is what's written on the page, but let's do it a few ways and see what feels good for you guys and what looks good for me. And I mean, he seemed very open to collaboration from his cast and his crew. And I feel like when directors take that approach, it really does shine through. It really is for the betterment of the project. Yeah. He had said something on the commentary that was very telling of his idea of the collaborative process where he's talking about actors changing lines to see what would fit their idea of the character, which isn't common. Mm -hmm. But he had a quote that was very meaningful, and he said, these actors are the artists of their character. Mm -hmm. And that's so true. It is. And I mean, they're so so fucking good, too. So it's like, why wouldn't you trust them? Yeah. You know, to take this to another level. I wouldn't, I wouldn't think that if you said that this was his first movie, I wouldn't believe that. Yeah. Because the, a lot of the stuff that happens in there, I feel like it's put together so well and the way that things run together, it feels like a seasoned person doing this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think in that, I feel leads me to really my only complaint is that I appreciate it all so much that I think that. Because even with credits, it's like 85 minutes before they start. Yeah. I would love to spend more time with these characters. Yeah, it's incredibly short for the story that's being told. Yeah. Uh, my only criticism of that, because he, he so much is packed into mm-hmm. the, what did you say, 85 minutes? Yeah. It's jam-packed. But it doesn't it doesn't feel rushed for me until a very climactic moment at the very end. Okay. For me personally. And I was just like, oh, okay. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it just happened a lot faster than I expected it. I, yeah. I will admit my only thought was you can do yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know. But we'll get to that. <laughs> I feel like that's my only critique because I think the pacing is, it's something of a slow burn, but I think it's done in such a way that it doesn't lose you along the way. It doesn't, speaking as a person who does like a slow burn, yeah. it doesn't, um, it, it never lulls. And it's a it's a short slow burn because things start happening pretty quickly. That's and that's what I was going to say is that I feel like they kind of cut through a lot of what usually happens in a haunted house story. Yeah. Mm. You get you like but it's not pieces that you miss. It's like, yeah, let's continue. Cut let's, that. Yeah. yeah. 
That's funny because I didn't get that at all. I felt like everything moved very, not quickly, but everything fell pretty good. Mm-hmm. Like I never felt bored. I was there. And, I, and me, I don't like, I'm not yeah. a slow burn. I want shit to happen and happen. But I do know that a story needs to be put in there somewhere. So I, you know, I know we can't just every, you know, die, 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 die. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I, I didn't even, I know there's a lot of social commentary in this, but for me, I watched this as a straight ass haunting and I, this was fucking amazing. Yeah. I was like, God damn, that's fucking good. And I think that it, that speaks to it. It's ability to stand alone yeah. depending on kind of what you're taking from it or what you're going into it with. That speaks a lot to the ability to craft yeah. a film like this where it can work on all these levels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where if you want to dig deeper, there's a lot there. Oh, yeah, if yeah. If you wanted to watch it as just a horror film that you found, there's a lot it's there. It's still yeah. great. There's plenty. Yeah. There's plenty. It was interesting to me, too, the way that all of these pieces kind of fell into place because uh, Remy Weeks was half of a, a like directing duo that went by Tell No One. Oh, cool. He said it was him and his friend from school, Luke White. And they had done, like you said, T commercials and short films, but they had shared an office space with producers Aiden Elliott and Martin Gentles. Well, Weeks had been telling them, I want to do a feature film. I want to do a horror film. I want to do a feature length film. And they're like, well, we're wanting to produce a horror film about the immigrant experience. The problem was, though, it was being written by Felicity Evans and Tony Venables, and they were having trouble getting the story together. Okay. And so they asked for Remy Weeks's input on it, and it just went from there. He was kind of researching stipulations of asylum in the UK. He was drawing on his own experiences as a person of color in London. He researched folklore and spooky stories told on migration routes from Africa to Europe and kind of put it all together. Okay. So I, I'm interested at what was already there because they are still credited for the story. Well, I mean, to get a story credit, I mean, it could simply just be the framework and the idea. Okay. And yeah. then everything that he really filled in. Like if you have the skeleton of it and he did all the right, you yeah. know, muscle and blood and whatever okay, else okay. is in a human body. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and Skin. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. 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 Um, Brain. <laughs> But they shot the film in Tilbury and Weeks said in an interview, I think I saw it with Collider, that it took like a year to edit. Wow. Yeah. Damn. He did talk a lot about the editing process. I listened to the commentary cast, which is, it was a very good resource for commentary tracks for films on streaming services. Mm-hmm. I, hmm. I got the commentary track from Hush for there too. Nice. Okay. Um, but he did talk a lot about that and the editing process was very extensive and there were a lot of um, interesting choices made after the fact. And it's just very interesting to hear how this film was put together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it premiered at Sundance in January of 2020, which is a a time right before of another time yeah. uh-huh. <laughs> that happened to all of us. But Netflix swiftly acquired the rights and released it that October during the aforementioned pandemic. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I think that not that the pandemic was good for the movie, but if it's going to be released on Netflix, 
it is a time that everyone was home mm-hmm. and everyone was watching shit, you know? And the distribution platform of a thing like Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. To know that your film is going to be on there is actually like kind of amazing. Yeah. Your I, first film? Yeah. <laughs> and I hate to admit it, but I thought this the other day. I was looking for something to watch and my still first go-to was Netflix. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I still just, I not even consciously did it. Went to Netflix and I was like, what the fuck am I doing on Netflix? Let me go to Max or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or go to Hulu. We've got Showtime on there and whatever. Yeah. I was like, why did I just immediately went straight to Netflix? Let me look for a movie. It's like muscle memory. Yeah. I think, and uh, in all fairness, Netflix isn't really known for their horror. So it is very good and refreshing to see such a good horror film premiere on there. Yeah. yeah. Um, and one of such depth. Yeah. And oh, yeah. I did, when you had mentioned it, I really did want to commend the research and accuracy that they sought in this film mm-hmm. and the story they were trying to tell and be respectful to folklore and culture. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's just incredible work. And I really do think that it should be commended. Oh, yeah. But I did read in interviews that his intention was to kind of start a conversation with this film. And I hear that's what we do here. So let's yeah. <laughs> let's go and get going. <laughs> now, before we renovate this film, we would like to issue a warning for spoilers. Podmortem is a very in-depth podcast and in thoroughly discussing horror films. We have no choice but to spoil a thing or two. If you don't wish to be spoiled, please go watch the film, then come back and enjoy the show. If you've already seen the film or don't care about spoilers, then let's move in. The film opens with a black screen and the sounds of insects chirping. When the darkness is lifted, we see Bol Majur, played by Chope Derisu, walking and cradling a child, his feet crunching in the dirt as he makes his way through the heat. The child, Nyagak, played by Michaela Wakoli Abigaba, clings to Bol as a dog dangles from her grip. In the town center, Bol and his wife, Rial, played by Wunmi Masaku, and their daughter are loaded into the back of a truck, already crowded with a group of people. Nyagak looks around nervously as the gate is closed on the truck, but Rial holds her close, and speaking in Dinka, she promises to protect her. We cut to the group, traveling across a body of water at night, the waves lapping hungrily at the wood of their boat. The boat's engine begins to make a troubling sound and we hear a crash. Suddenly, we see people floating in the water, fighting to stay above its chaotic surface. One of these people is Nyagak, who calls out for her mother. So this entire beginning is just harrowing mm-hmm. yeah. and absolutely tragic and just frightening in a very human way. Yes. Yeah. I did want to talk about the production, though, just to uh, give a little context, because these scenes that are set in Sudan mm-hmm. were actually shot in Morocco. Okay. Mm. And so they did go to West Africa. Um, Sudan's in the east, but they were able to go and film in Africa for these scenes. Wow. All right. Which is very cool. Yeah. yeah. But um, I know they wanted to shoot in Sudan, but it's obviously you can't. Yeah. yeah. The um, situation. And so um, the fact that they did go to the continent, period, was mm-hmm. wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, these shots of them in the boat and the water. Yeah. Firstly, just the... I guess way that so many are stacked in this boat Mm -hmm. that alone is just kind of um, discomforting. It is again, just this harrowing experience that, you know, a lot of people have experienced, Mm -hmm. have gone through 
gone through this method to do and through the research they found. Yeah. So it's just kind of uh, hard to watch just on a human level. Yeah. Um, the way that they accomplished it, which is very fascinating with this effects house called Frame Store out of London, but they have all these people gathered onto this boat and they shoot the boat in like a small little pool. Okay. And it's up against like a blue screen. And so the boat and the people are obviously real Mm -hmm. but whenever you get shots from the side and shots from above they basically cut out everything and just added in everything wow and so this rushing water not there wow and like it's there's so many moments in this film where you're like none of this like the environment's not real yeah it's insane it looks great though because i was stressed out yeah i figured that it was maybe just like like you said, like a pool, uh-huh. but it was like, we're going to do like three inches of water on a surface area mm-hmm. yeah. so that when you do splash around, you do get a real water effect yeah. that we can add whatever later. Yeah. The way that um they showed it on this like effects montage uh-huh. is they show this like shot from above and you see the boat and it's really just this small square cut out of them in the, this very shallow water. <laughs> And then from above, they just put in all of this effects yeah. work, add all the waves, add the darkness, add everything. Yeah. That's Damn. wild. It looks good. It, it does. does. And I feel like more to what you were saying about how like hard this is to watch. Mm-hmm. I feel like, and John Paul talks about it a lot with themes being like, too bleak for him and stuff and i'm i'm i've said it before a bleak bitch i I like to wallow i like you know the darker aspects but stuff like this it's like it is hard to watch yeah and to begin the film this way like our grounding point is just devastating yeah it it, and and i know you said t2 and and but it is this is this is horror yes this is too real and it's like, oh, man, it's like, fuck, I'm going to be sad. Huh? Yeah. And the thing is, is as emotionally affected as you are, you don't realize how much they're setting up. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There are so many lines and so many ways that things are said that you're like, huh? Yeah. But yeah. you're not because you're not, you know? Yeah. And it's just once we go forward and there is more context, you really it just you know it reminds me of something i saw in an interview with wumi masaku that she said about reading the script for this and but i can't talk about it yet yeah yeah but bull wakes up in bed rial sits next to him and tells him in english that he was dreaming she asked what he was dreaming about and when he lies and tells her that he was dreaming of their wedding day rial side eyes him before telling him dryly that that explains the screams <laughs> Which is funny. I meant to, I mean, I was kind of um, distracted by the scene that was going on, but I just wanted to, again, say how much I love her. Yes. Um, She's been in so many things. By my count, two episodes of Black Mirror, Mm -hmm. Lovecraft Country. Mm -hmm. I mean, she's, just to name a couple, she is very magnetic. There's just something about her where I always want to see more of her and everything I see her in. Mm From what I understand, they were able to audition kind of together. Okay. And they had known each other beforehand. And so Weeks was very aware of their chemistry from their first scene Mm. together. Yeah. Even in the audition process. And I think that's something that really works here, especially in something like this where you're like, we don't have a lot of time with these characters. Yeah. But I'm able to understand their relationship and their dynamic through even just a small moment like that. Yeah. 
And it feels very lived in. I believe that they've been together for a long time, just in their body language and the way that they talk. Like, it, it, they're, they're both of them are phenomenal. Mm-hmm. That's what I was gonna say. Is is then that explains what helped? Because I I do and I have complained before about care. I want a little more character, you know, like you were saying, T. But I feel like with them knowing each other, that helps bring, like you were saying, babe, bring that out. I feel like they do know each yes, other. Yes. Yeah. Oh, you guys are together, you know? Okay. So it, for me, I feel like what we get, I was like, this is, you know what I mean? Like I said, this was like, bam, bam, bam. I was like, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. This is good shit. Yeah. She was also in the end of the fucking world. Remember? Yes, I do. Just, uh, <laughs> reminder to anyone that has not seen that show to watch that show it is so good it is oh (laughs) (laughs) but anyway yeah bull can do nothing but smile at her remark as he closes his eyes and lies back down on his pillow he strokes the hem of her shirt lovingly as she rubs his shoulder but there is a moment of distraction when we see that they are not in their own home the small room that their tiny bed occupies shares a wall with another bed. Its inhabitant, the Cameroonian, played by Kevin Lane, rolls over and faces the door without a word to either of them. The door opens abruptly and the detention custody officer, played by Maureen Casey, sticks her head in, letting them know curtly that they're wanted in the gym before disappearing again down the hall. The open door gives an idea of how full the facility is with the sounds of shouting and children's voices. And when Bull tries to ask her why they're wanted, she's already gone. The Cameroonian eyes them as they get ready for this impromptu meeting. Our fleeting glimpse of the scarification on Bull's arm is quickly hidden beneath the sleeves of his shirt, as is Rial's hair hidden beneath the scarf. The Cameroonian gets up, warning them calmly not to get their hopes up because they'll send them back to die like the bastards always do. Bol and Rial do not respond to this, though. Instead, they take comfort in each other through a longing look as Bol gently kisses Rial's hand. I just want to say I understand his cynicism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I'm anxious as it is. You don't have to like. Yeah. Let us have a little hope. Just for a second. I'm. He's like, was that a smile? Mm-mm. No, yeah. n- none of <laughs> no. that. None of that. <laughs> not in here. But on their way to the gym, they pass a room where two officers subdue a screaming man. Their struggle smears blood onto the floor. In the gym, Bol and Rial sit in chairs on display for a panel that sit behind a lunch table. Folders piled between them, the lead officer and the secondary officer, played by Dominic Coleman and Sally Plum, eye the couple. The second officer whispers loudly to the lead officer, asking, What about the child? The lead officer whispers back just as loudly that they lost her last year. Okay, I understand this is the commentary on just like case after case after case. Yeah, yeah. Them not even settling up before they even enter the room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But goddamn, couldn't you have? Yeah. It's. Wait, can you guys wait at the door real exactly. quick and then let us get prepared? Or... Yeah. Instead of right in front of everyone, yeah. the most. The whole worst experience of our lives, just whispering about it, like gossip at a lunch table. Yeah, yeah, that it starts here and it continues in later scenes where it gets to the point. And like you said to you earlier about kind of an indictment on governmental facilities and stuff like that, mm-hmm. where it is a lot of times and not even this specific situation, but even like, you know, government housing or like insurance or food stamps or anything like that, where it's just like, get you in and get you out. Oh, no, this doesn't fit. No, you're denied. Bye. Like, yeah. people are not. And I don't know if it's maybe a way that some people have to cope 
with jobs like this, but it does feel dehumanizing a lot of the time to a point where it is this. They're a case. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're, you're a name on a paper. Yeah. Two people walk in that on paper should have their daughter with them and they don't. That already should, you know, where's their kid? Like, yeah. that's not. <laughs> and you're right in front of them and they can hear you. It's yeah. just it's it's really shitty. It's and, shitty. And I didn't remember a year. So they've been here a year, I guess. Yeah, I did not remember that. Neither did I. Yeah. But the secondary officer eyes the couple nodding with understanding while a security officer sits on the other end of the table scrolling his phone. The lead officer congratulates Bull and Rial flatly. This is enough. I mean, just more of what I was just saying. And I will I I'm not going to rant. I will reel it in. But it's like this is a pivotal moment in their lives. Mm-hmm. And you're sitting there scrolling on your phone. And you're, I mean, it's just like, I don't know. It's so, they're just so desensitized. Yeah. It's like, I mean, it's one of those things, like to you, it's Thursday. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But, and how many more people are you going to see after me? Mm-hmm. But like to me, this is a life changing moment. Yeah. It's good news. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> I guess I really did feel that way because my next note is. As if he's not delivering life-changing news. (laughs) (laughs) He tells them that they're going to be released from detention. If they're lucky, it might even be today. Rial's entire body breathes a sigh of relief, and Bull can't restrain the flood of giggles that burst from him. They hold hands as the security officer continues to be lost in his phone, and the secondary officer takes a bite of a snack. The lead officer cuts the celebration short, though, when he tells them that they're not being released as citizens. Not yet. They're being released on bail as asylum seekers. And as such, they'll be expected to adhere to conditions. Failure to meet these conditions even once could result in them being brought back to detention and eventually sent back. Bro, have you been in there? I don't want to be sitting in there anymore. No, that's fine. Tell me what I got to do. Let me go. Their faces nodded once again in worry, the giggles and the relief gone. Bol and Rial listen closely to the conditions. They must report in once a week and they can't miss a single one. They will be given a support in 74 pounds a week and they are not allowed to work or supplement this income in any way. That's the part that really, because I mean, it's less than 300 pounds a month. Yeah. And you're not allowed to, like, how? Yeah, that... That too, I was like, okay, cool. You're giving us some kind of allowance, but is that enough? But they don't want you to do too well. Yeah, I can't. That's what it feels like. Even over here, and I don't know exactly how it works in the UK or in this specific in, in like um, scenario with asylum seekers, mm-hmm. but it, in America, that's how you have government assistance. The minute you make a dollar over where they say that you're quote unquote poor enough mm-hmm. to receive it you're kicked off uncle yeah. sam like knocks on your door and he's like yeah where's yeah. that dollar yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no literally 75 cents of it is mine uh, yeah no. so like it's like <laughs> if i have medicaid for my kids and now i make too much to get medicaid now i have to pay for insurance which knocks me down to when i needed help still you know yeah. what i mean mm-hmm. so it's like you they will help you but not too we're not gonna help you to where you can be on your own. Like, uh-huh. that's yeah. crazy. No, that's, yeah. And it's not Uncle Sam. It's the eagle. The eagle oh, really? comes yeah. and says, like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the cord out of your hand. Yeah. It's like, oh. it's like, dude, I was going to get some water. Not anymore. <laughs> I love that it's just the eagle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, we know. Everybody capital, knows. Yeah, we know. Capital T, yeah. capital E. Trademark. 
But <laughs> yeah, it's like, we'll give you enough to feed yourself and that's it, you know? Mm-hmm. And lastly, they will be sent to a home of their choice. Well, not not the couple's choice. No, yeah. their, their yeah. choice. Yeah. I'll take Buckingham yeah. Palace, please. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard. They're like, damn it, it's in the right. Yeah. Yeah. They're allowed. Why do we do this? <laughs> <laughs> but they have to stay at the home and they cannot move. The lead officer tells them to say yes after each of these stipulations before continuing. But on the last one, Bull tries to assure them that they're good people. The lead officer, though, only wants affirmation that they understand the conditions of their bail. He says that he's not the one that needs to be convinced on whether they are good people. I did want to talk about the fact that they can't leave this house. Mm -hmm. We talked a little bit about this on session nine for a different reason. Yeah. But in this subgenre, that is very often the biggest complaint that we have. Why haven't you yes. left yeah. the house? They can't. They literally can't. Yeah. And so the reasoning for this and how things progress, they have no choice. Yeah. yeah. And if just like to put a toe on the soapbox and then I will stop. Um, we will stop. <laughs> but I just wanted to point out again that Weeks, like we said before, spoke to asylum seekers firsthand And he really wanted the audience to take from this a sense of understanding and empathy for these people and their experience. And to that credit, I did watch a little like video that Netflix made about it. And they talked about the fact that in 2019, there were 3.5 million asylum seekers. And in the context of like the couple situation in this film, only 53% of applications are approved at all in the UK And as a result of the hardships and the trauma and everything that these people experienced to even get here, they're five times, of course, more likely to need mental health treatment. Of course. And a lot of the time when they get, if and when they get placed in these homes, they're met with racism and xenophobia and people, you know, I guess in their own way, afraid of them or judging them or whatever. And they're stuck, you know? So it's like, it's it's just important to have empathy yeah. and understanding for what people are going through and have gone through that we are lucky enough to have not experienced. Mm-hmm. And weeks said uh, like that the whole core of this film really is our, as a society, I guess our unwillingness to see people as complicated and gray instead of just looking at a person or a group of people and saying, Oh, they're good or they're bad. And that is a very important, especially as this film goes on. But I just wanted to, I'll hop back my toe back off the soapbox. I think that intent is very important. Yeah. And it does become incredibly prevalent as the film continues. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that the first taste of that is that line from Bowl. Yes. We're good people. We're good people. Yeah. yeah. So it's very, it's a very interesting concept to dig into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But back to our regularly scheduled programming. (laughs) That night, in the pouring rain, Bol and Rial are taken to a bus. They get in the empty bus and sit down together, but when Rial asks where they're being taken, neither the officer up front nor the bus driver even answer her. The bus moves through the darkness and the rain, and on their unfamiliar and uncomfortable journey, Rial and Bol find comfort by clasping each other's hands. On a black screen, we get the title in red his house in the light of day the bus finally comes to a stop at a housing complex 
The officer gets out, dropping the lone trash bag of their belongings onto the ground outside. Rial and Bull exit the bus, and without another word, the officer gets back inside, and they just drive away. It felt just so unceremonious. It it did, and it's little things like this that later on made me think of this movie also from a different view hmm. until certain things happen, and then I was like, okay, then never mind, it can't be that way. But up until a point, I was like, I was like, I feel like this could be different. Mm, I think I'm following. Yeah. Okay. I think I, I think I get what you were thinking. Okay. But and I obviously you like there, you're like, there's a something's going on. Right. Right. But again, I never could have guessed what it actually yeah. is. But waiting for them at the entrance to one of the houses is Mark Esworth, played by Matt Smith. So I was very intrigued to, I, I wanted to know how he was cast in this. Yeah. And so the story that Remy Weeks told on the commentary cast, he goes, well, um, he read the script and he liked it. All right. <laughs> so, All right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. But it is very surprising to see him here. Yeah. It is. Because the last thing I remember is he's Damon Targaryen. He is. So I was like, <laughs> oh, right. and he was in Terminator Genesis and in Morbius. All right. I but, know he was a previous doctor. Yes. I, I know yeah. that he's a doctor. Weirdly, I've never watched it. No, my me friend neither. Chris yeah. is always on my ass too. But I I'm like, this is like a heyday for him for me because I love this. I love Last Night in Soho. Mm -hmm. I love House of the Dragon. I'm like, okay, Matt Smith. Like yeah. I didn't watch Doctor Who, but I'm I'm here. Yeah. I'm watching. <laughs> But he asks if they speak English, and when Bull tells them yes, he hands them a welcome container of supplies and groceries. He motions toward the home where they will be staying, remarking that it's a palace because typically the places are half the size with twice as many people inside. But this is all for them. As he unlocks the door, Bull wisely asks what makes them so special to have gotten this, but Mark can only guess that they must have won the jackpot. I would be wondering the same thing. Yeah. But I mean, there there's something facetious about the way that he says it. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, obviously I'm like, well, what kind of lottery? Right. Like one in every mm. million houses is chock full of ghouls yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or something, you know? Chock full. <laughs> I mean, it's a worry that we all have. But Everyone, every yeah. one of us. I just feel like, and th that is one thing that they had talked about on uh, in a few interviews is that what he's saying about these houses and their conditions normally is the case. Yeah. And they kind of had to switch things up a little bit for the film to benefit the story they're trying to tell. Mm -hmm. Because if it was closer to the accuracy of what it's like, it wouldn't be able to be this story of just about these two people. Yeah. And so doing that, right. it can be. Yeah. Plus, like you said, that just makes me suspicious about this place. Right yeah. off the yeah. bat. Yeah. The lottery. Right off that. the bat. And why, again, why are we so special? Mm -hmm. Those people wouldn't even talk to us on the bus, but yeah. we get, why are we so special to get this? But as Mark leads them inside the very narrow hallway of their new home, he lays down the ground rules. No smoking, no animals, no candles, no guests, no friends, no parties. I was like, no candles? Yeah. I feel like candles is a little far. I was well, sad. Yeah, Fire. You know, if I yes. need light, what? <laughs> if I don't want to pretend I'm in yeah. Victorian times, well. what am I supposed to do? Well, and the smell of a candle is very nice. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm I'm a big. 
candle. Mm. You're <laughs> I a said big I'm a candle. Big, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say big candle, bitch. <laughs> Sounded weird before I even said it. Um, you just should I, not. <laughs> you gotta, I love candles. You got to start curbing the B word. I know. <laughs> I love. No. I love. <laughs> I will not. I love cats too, but like a lot of places say no pets. Yeah. No candles. Just I was like, what? Yeah. yeah. And I think it just speaks to the just limited yeah. yeah and the regulations and just the a lot of arbitrary yeah yeah where it's almost it almost feels like we can say that you can't so you can't yeah, yeah. and what are you gonna do about it yeah but when the overhead light immediately winks off mark assures them that they'll fix that he continues rattling off no balls no games no ball games <laughs> it's like what it's like you're just are you ad-libbing yeah and, and what no games yeah, I know. Like board games? Yeah. Do you literally mean no games like don't fuck with us? Or do you mean no games like we can't play Monopoly? Like seriously, I'm asking. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But no I mean, fun? Yeah. yeah. Again, I mean, Monopoly, things can get heated. Uno? Uno yeah. should be banned from some place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if you're stacking draw fours. Which is the only way to play. Yes. You have to play like you hate your family. Yes. <laughs> That's not regulation rule. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Who follows the rules? You of literally. The- <laughs> we went back and forth about it. And I think Uno tweeted that it's like, no, you're not supposed to stack draw four. What do you know? And I'm like, how do you? Yeah, you don't know this fucking game. <laughs> <laughs> Get out of my mention. <laughs> it's their game? Uh, no, it's no, not. No, no. Once it got got to my house, it ceased. They they don't have any say. Yeah, I know better than you know. We're Uno. ruining relationships over Uno. Mm-hmm. So I can see why it's banned. <laughs> That's my point. <laughs> Mark advises them, though, to get screws for their doors and to say hello to their neighbors. But he tells them that they will be fine. Rial wanders into the living room and Bull pinches his nose as he tests out the gas stovetop. Both rooms have remnants of the people that lived here before them. Mark laments that they didn't have time to get the cleaners in, but they'll just have to give the place a wipe down. Bull opens an abandoned box of pizza and finds a half-eaten slice inside infested with bugs. This it, The place is going to take a lot more than a wipe down. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure at this point, honestly, right now, if somebody was like, look, we have a house you can move into, it's fucking filthy. Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll clean it. You yeah, know what I mean? That. I'm not going to complain about bugs in a pizza box but this place needs more than a wipe yeah. down but you say it just needs a wipe down but you're also like the doors don't have screws in them yeah the lights don't work the, the lights light don't work is. yeah the bugs have the run of the place yeah they actually are the tenants yeah <laughs> <laughs> you need to whatever rules they say also yeah. follow those please and outside in the front wasn't very uh yeah tidy either no but you know what's anybody gonna say yeah Mark is still prattling on, offering to draw them a map to get to the doctor down the road. He tells them not to even worry about the smell. All they'll have to do is open a window and air the place out. <laughs> He's oh, like, no. it does smell like shit yeah. in here. Yeah, we understand. <laughs> we can all agree on that. But he reminds them that the most important thing is that this is theirs and that every new beginning starts with a single step. But Bull and Rial share a look across the hallway. Them looking across the hall, I'm just putting together, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Later, Bull signs the paperwork, and when Mark comments on his confident signature, Bull tells him with some pride that he works at a bank. After a moment, though, he amends this. He worked at a bank. Rial steps into the room and softly tells her husband something in Dinka, prompting Mark to just stare at her open-mouthed. After subtle prompting from Bull, Rial turns the question on Mark, this time in English. This entire house is just for us? 
Mark says, yes, all of it. He says it's home and it's bigger than his own house. He tells them they're going to be fine as long as they can fit in and get along. Bull assures him that they are not going back and Mark commends this attitude. He advises them to just make it easy for people and be one of the good ones. You know, hello to the microaggressions because mm. I was wondering when they were going to swing by. Mm-hmm. Um, but thinking about this moment and what we get later from Mark, because we don't get a lot from Mark of him really, mm-hmm. but the scenes that we do get, I find very interesting. I don't think that Mark is a bad person. I think that he is trying to follow the rules of a system that he doesn't necessarily like. Yeah. I think that he does feel for this couple and I think that what he said was a microaggression and xenophobic or racist or both. Mm-hmm. He thinks that he's helping. He thinks yeah. that he's being helpful. I don't think that he's coming from uh, an ugly place. But what that be one of the good ones. That's fucked up. Yeah, yeah that's a lot. I think, though, that speaks to Remy Weeks's intention of showing that, you know, people are complicated all of these things can be true. Mm-hmm. He can have good intentions and also say something fucking stupid. Those things yeah. can be true. Mm-hmm. And it happens every day. Oh, yeah. And it, it's a thing that how long has he been at this job and doing that? Yeah. Maybe he has. And, and again, that was something I thought about, too. If you you like helping people and you continue to help people, you know what I mean? You want to see the best. And then it's like you see how bad the system is. Yeah. And then how many people do get turned away I wonder how much over time you do just like, please, I want this to work for you yeah. guys, but you come off as insensitive. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you're just like, please, I don't want to see what happened to the last That's true. group that came through. Yeah. So I, I couldn't even imagine getting close to somebody and then something, uh, the smallest mistake. You light a candle because you need to go to use something because my light just burned out. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. It's like, no, nope, you're gone. Yeah, yeah. It's like, come on, dude. And then you think of the people that were sitting at the table earlier yeah. that are probably so disillusioned as well. I mean, and it's it's difficult. It's very difficult. You're, you're trying to help people, but then you see the system at work and what it does. Yeah. And then you do start to get, maybe you do get burned out. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're like, you know, what even am I doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you do start scrolling your phone because you're like, the system is just going to... Just detach. Yeah. yeah. But I did want to speak a little bit about the production design because there are a lot of exteriors that we did see mm-hmm. where they did film in a real neighborhood. I think it was Tilbury in Essex. Yes. They found this house that is very similar to the style of houses that asylum seekers are assigned to. Okay. And so they filmed in, in the neighborhood, I think, for like a week or two. And um, what they did is the production designer, Jacqueline Abrams, she okay so she worked on the lobster oh she also worked on lady macbeth and this british tv miniseries that i loved called the infield haunting okay it has timothy spall in it (gasps) and it has matthew mcfadian who was one of my favorite characters on succession okay but she recreated the hodgson home just yeah. Amazingly. And so I'm a big fan of her work. Mm-hmm. But um, the work that she does here, because they recreated this real house in Essex on a soundstage in London. Mm-hmm. And so the exteriors are real. That's the neighborhood. But there are interiors and just outside of the house that are rebuilt on the soundstage. Okay. And so them going from the outside of the house to the inside of the house, that's a switch. Yeah. Wow. All right. 
and so it's so well it's realized seamless. yeah you know and so and also the house itself the way that it is becomes a character mm-hmm. yes the way that it continues to evolve throughout the story yeah it really does take on a life of its own mm-hmm. okay so the production design i just i cannot say enough yeah now this lobster that's not from the lighthouse right because that was a meal tell him you like his lobster right. god that's damn all. it he won't blink for five minutes <laughs> tell him you like his fucking Please. lobster <laughs> jesus christ i can't handle it my eyes are dry watching this literally <laughs> Later on, standing next to a window upstairs, Bull is overcome with a wave of complicated emotions. He laughs and cries, sitting on the bed and burying his head in his hands. Meanwhile, in another room, Rial holds on to Nyagak's doll. She pulls off the beaded hem of the doll's dress and fashions it into a necklace for herself. I did want to point out the score. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it's brilliant throughout these moments of uh, pensive reflection Mm -hmm. through the characters and their experience and then later when things obviously grow more horror tinged yeah Yeah. and then the end where it's orchestral that's yeah it's it's beautiful but the composer was roque banos who not only scored and again a connection to brad anderson and such a nine he scored the machinist okay You know what? I, I could have swore I heard you mention that name before, too. And I'll tell you why. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> not only did he score, and this is just for Fede Alvarez, uh, Don't Breathe. Okay. He scored the Evil Dead remake. That's what it there was. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> but it's just great work. Yeah. Very good. It really is. But that night, after trying to turn on the light in the living room to no avail, Bull pulls his jacket off and drapes it around his wife's shoulders. He rests his head in her lap and she strokes his hair lovingly. With his phone playing music lightly, Bull tells Rial that they will be new here. She agrees, adding that they're born again. And Bull confirms this. We are born again. Bull closes his eyes contentedly, but Rial's remain open. This lighting and framing mm-hmm. to me was very, very, very reminiscent of the first night in the new apartment in Rosemary's Baby. Okay. Oh, okay, okay. And I saw these parallels here, and then I read an interview later in Den of Geek where Remy Weeks cited Rosemary's Baby as one of his favorite films. Okay. All right. So I think it's a small little reference. Yeah, yeah. And there is another big reference coming later mm-hmm. that I really appreciated to another film I love. All okay. right. Later, Bull folds up the blanket on the floor and turns off the music on his phone. But with the house newly silent, he hears all the goings-on outside. Laughter and glass breaking. He shrugs this off, but when he hears a distinct humming sound coming from the living room, he steps closer to the shadowed corner to investigate. He leans over, intently listening for the sound, when something thumps loudly against the window behind him. Just to point a little bit of foreshadowing in the sound design, Mm -hmm. laughter and glass breaking. Doesn't that remind you of a scene that comes up later? Okay. Interesting, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The yelling and laughing from outside swells as Bull covers his ears in panic and breathes deeply and deliberately to calm himself. He puts his hands over his ears as he does this, and when he pulls them away, the sounds outside are relegated to far away and muffled once again. But that light humming comes back, this time on the other side of the room. 
Just as quickly as it started, it's over, but Bull steps to the opposite wall. He presses his ear against it and hears skittering and shuffling noises. He is startled once again when there is another loud thump. When this began, immediately I was like, they don't get one day? No. Like, we're immediately launched into this? Yeah. Yeah. He calls out, hello? But he doesn't receive an answer. Instead, he turns his attention to a section of the wall near the bottom where a square has been cut out. After peering inside, he reaches his hand into the darkness. I was stressed. I hate when they do this in movies. Well, my thing is that I understand, you know, there's something in there, obviously. Yeah. But best case scenario, you reach in. And you, a rat bites you, you. Or you, yeah. Yeah, that's basically where I was going. No, what were you going to say? <laughs> oh, I was going to say you grab a rat. But that's really lucky to even, I'm sure the rat would not be Well, in you favor. said best. That yeah, would be best. best. Worst case would be the rat bite. A rabbit no. rat bite. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if, you know, or a, no, a plague rat. What about, you know, that's probably the worst case. But the best case is you reach in. No, best case is you reach in and there's like a 50 in there. Yeah. <laughs> Just a 50. Just making noise. Um, <laughs> but I don't understand the reaching. The reaching is bold. Yes. Yeah, I, I would need a light. I don't know yes. if I want to put my hand in there no. absolutely not. and it's your first night in the house yeah. yeah we don't know what could be in there or maybe there's a cat oh. that would be best case pet cat <laughs> yes yeah and this is how we met our pet cat yeah <laughs> it's the beginning of something beautiful <laughs> mm-hmm. and i do want to say there is something that i and it wasn't even really what it was but it was just the framing of the shot and the darkness and the way that it's lit there's something behind him on the wall mm-hmm. but the way that it shines and shimmers in the light the very dim light it almost looks like two little eyes mm. okay which again is something to think about later yeah but in this moment when you look a little further you're like oh that's just something on the wall yeah, yeah. But Bull receives more rustling and thudding when he plunges his hand in. But behind him, suddenly, we see Nyagak lying on the ground, her eyes wide and frightened, and her mouth twisted open unnaturally as she wheezes air in. Bull jumps at the sound, but when he turns, Nyagak is gone. His head is facing away from the hole now, and when he turns back, a crow comes screeching from the darkness, fluttering its wings. It cries out as it flies past Bull and further into the house, and Bull can only remark that this is a strange country. The bird, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The ghostly visage that you just saw? Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> and but then again at the same time i was when you're thinking you're like i wonder why he doesn't tell her yeah well he but didn't... then you remember he had the nightmare or the dream of the memory yeah and he didn't tell her that either true yeah and he didn't see her he heard her we saw her we saw her and okay. then when he turned she was gone but the sound, but the sound was enough the yeah. sound was enough where's real at i'm assuming she went up to bed like you can stay down yeah. there and hang out. She's I not. guess. And he was like, "I'll put the blanket away. Yeah. Don't don't worry about it." And I'll also just dig in this wall. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know, n- normal things that one does before going to bed. Yes. Nightly routine: shut off the light, mm-hmm. dig, dig in the, in wall. the wall. But the next morning, Rial wakes up alone in bed. She goes downstairs to find Bull fixing the door like Mark had advised. She smiles at him lovingly and greets him in Dinka, but her smile falters when she notices an open trash bag containing Nyagak's doll. Rial pulls it out and gazes at it. 
I was surprised that this wasn't more of a situation about him throwing this doll away. Mm -hmm. I honestly, from what we saw the night before and how we don't really know exactly completely what's going on yet, I thought that this was going to be this thing about this doll moving around. Mm. Oh, okay, okay. That maybe it was just there as opposed to it being put there. I see, yeah, I see, right, okay. But later, Rial looks out the window and smiles. She tells Bull to come over because the queen is outside. The queen, an elderly woman played by Vivian Bridson, wanders down the street with her shopping. Bull smiles with his wife asking, where's Charles? And they both laugh. <laughs> this was the moment of levity that I was yeah. talking about. <laughs> I just, it made me smile that she's like, it's their queen. And you look out and it's just some it's lady. lady. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they had said that this was improv. Oh, okay. I love that. Yeah. Which is fantastic. <laughs> but later when Bull leaves to take out the trash, he sees the aftermath of the sounds and commotion that he heard last night. Their door is dirty from the trash that was thrown at it that now lies scattered across his porch. The yard is littered with garbage and Bull drops his own trash bags in shock. He takes a step back to assess the filth, but catches eyes with a neighbor sitting in her window. The neighbor, played by Vivienne Sohn, strokes her cat as she stares through the glass at Bull with a blank expression. Bull smiles at her and raises a hand in a subtle wave, but her expression and posture don't change a bit. She continues to stare at him as she pets her cat. Bull's smile drops and he surveys his filthy yard. Rial watches from the window, her view of the side of the house and not the front yard. She sees Bull pull on his jacket and walk down the street, passing two neighborhood children walking their dog. Her face is etched with concern. I think for me, it's like, you know, we, we can't acknowledge that we're all living here together. Mm -hmm. Like, I waved at you and you just glare at me. Yeah. Nothing. <laughs> like, it's just unbelievable. And it really sucks because Mark's advice was get to know your neighbors and fit in. Mm -hmm. And this is the reception that I'm getting from my next door neighbor. Yeah. yeah. Were you involved in throwing the trash in my yard? Like, I would be, I'm not, I don't feel welcome. Yeah. I did want to point out as well, something I forgot to mention was this idea that Weeks was talking about as far as the UK and London kind of being sold to people as like a big city. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. With lights and everything. And there are aspects of London, you know, big cities that have this kind of uh, environment. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times it is a place like this where the first stop is. Okay. Or the only stop is. Yeah. yeah. And so they really wanted to kind of select a place that did appear. And you see it in the color palette. Drab. Yeah. yeah. Colorless, almost fading into the sky. And so it's very interesting that this is the house. Yeah. Yeah. I really love that, actually, because I feel like certain cities and certain places are like stereotyped to be a certain way. Mm -hmm. And no country, state, city is one thing. No. Mm -hmm. No. You know what I mean? Like, I do appreciate that. I remember when we moved to Texas, I was 10 and I thought, or no, 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 before we came to visit Texas for the first time, I think it was like seven or eight. Mm -hmm. I thought it was going to be like tumbleweeds mm -hmm. and desert. And my mom grew up in Texas. Yeah. So, and I was just like, man, that's crazy that you lived like that. And then we, <laughs> we got to Dallas and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> Wait, so you're like, you're eating those tumbleweeds every night or whatever? <laughs> you have a straw in your mouth, you're riding a horse. Like mm -hmm. that's, you know, because of and it is pop culture and like 
movies and shit. And there yeah. are places in Texas. Absolutely. That yeah. are that way. But as a whole, you, do you know, see. no place is what you see it as on TV. So, you know, you think London or Paris or New York, like these bright lights and, and beautiful, you know, but it's like it has its places like everywhere else. Yeah. And I thought they weren't supposed to leave. I think they're not supposed to leave, leave. I or, think they can. Yeah. Well, he said, make friends with your neighbors. They're allowed to go out. He drew her a map to the doctor. Okay, okay. But they can't move and yeah, they can't, yeah. like, I guess, go on trips or, yeah. I mean, well, they can't even have friends over. Which, or play games. Or play yeah. games. No Uno. I th- No. I thought the no friends thing was also kind of. Yeah. I mean. It makes, it has a kind of fearful connotation to me because if other people are placed here we don't want you guys hanging out or you know what i mean like mm-hmm. i don't i don't know it feels feels shitty yeah or even people that you meet here like don't get too close don't yeah. don't let you know what i mean like i don't uh, i don't know i just it, it sucks it's upsetting mm-hmm. but at a barber shop bull gets a haircut as the barber played by roland manukian works Bull asks where they are. The barber warmly informs him that it's High Street. And when Bull dreamily asks in London, the barber chuckles. Why not? The there are these small, tender, heartfelt moments. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where you're like, you know, it's just the fact of hearing that, you know? Yes. And I feel like Chope Derisu in this role, he does so much sometimes with just like subtle facial expressions. Mm-hmm. And this was one of them where it is that moment of I'm here. Like, I, I just want to hear in London. Right. You know what yeah. I mean? Like he's he's incredible in this. And even that scene um, at the window in the house. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where he's going through like five, ten different yes. emotions yeah. in the span of like 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. But Bull walks down the street with his fresh cut, carrying bags of groceries at the gentle tolling of a church bell. He stops and looks up at the steeple. When a man whistles at him, he lowers his gaze to see Churchman, played by Andy Gathergood, standing in front of the door. Once he's gotten Bull's attention, he asks if he's one of those refugees. Bull nods in affirmation, and the Churchman tells him cryptically, got something for ya. I was like, oh. don't go in there. Yeah, because he sounded a little aggressive. He very aggressive. Yeah. It if and the the following scene is not anything that I ever expected at no. all. But I I continue. We cut to Bowl inside, looking through the contents of a generously large care package filled with snacks and household staples like soap and towels. Amazing, very yeah. kind. Mm-hmm. But this guy's got to work on his delivery. I, if you <laughs> plan to give me a gift basket, <laughs> do not say, hey, <laughs> got something for you. You one of those refugees. It's like, oh my God. It, it, the whole, the prefacing it with that. Mm-hmm. And then I was, I was scared. You guys are going to jump me as exactly. soon as I walk in there. Yeah. yeah. And was it a church? What was it? They were in a church, but they're like watching a soccer game and yeah. hanging out. But it was a church. All right. Well, you know, all I know is that I thought terrible. Yeah. yeah. What Remy Weeks had said in his then on that commentary cast was he was saying that it was an attempt to kind of give less of a one note experience. I appreciate okay. that. Because it is very difficult. There is a lot of racism. There is a lot of xenophobia. And there is moments like this 
too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that speaks again to the duality of just uh, humans, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. But a group of people sit watching the soccer game and Bull sits to the side. The group watches the game and begins to chant, he's big, he's red, his feet stick out of bed, Peter Crouch. Bull almost immediately joins in, and when he does, people turn to him, raising their drinks and hands toward him in approval. I, I really, this is a sweet moment. Mm-hmm. It is like a bit of connection. Yeah. That, again, I did not anticipate. Yeah. And that he feels safe enough to join in and everybody's like, yeah, man. Like, it's like, it's, it's, it's needed. It's yeah. needed. And I mean, you, you think about it. I, you know, I don't really watch sports all that much, but you do understand there's this like camaraderie and simply rooting for the same team. Mm-hmm. True. Where people you don't know, you're like, hey, you're wearing the same colors as me. Yeah. yeah. You like, uh, you know, th- team. Peter Crouch. Yeah. <laughs> you're a big fan of Peter Crouch. <laughs> <laughs> and you know the song dedicated to Peter Crouch. <laughs> <laughs> I did want to say, and it's weird. We often, you know, obviously there are times that we plan like to release things on on anniversary weeks, or you know, when a film of the same franchise is coming out or whatever. But since the beginning of the show, we've accidentally like recorded things on dates that mean something to the film, mm-hmm. or release episode. You know what I mean? Like on accident. And the day that we are sitting down to record this is Peter Crouch's birthday. Really. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that this morning and I was like, what? <laughs> I, let's sing a song. I, guess. Yeah. I, mean, you know? <laughs> I hear he's big and red. Mm-hmm. Yeah. His feet stick out or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but that night, Rial struggles to comprehend why adult men were singing songs about Peter Crouch. <laughs> <laughs> Dipping his gifted cookies into his tea, Bull says that it's just a funny song, but Rial says that she thinks it's the worst song she's ever heard. <laughs> after a moment of contemplation she supposes that maybe she'll go out tomorrow taking a sip from his cup bull comments that that's wonderful as rial sleeps later bull hears the sound of people talking outside as the headlights of a car sweep through his bedroom he starts to sit up but when he hears something that sounds like dragging and footsteps coming from downstairs he gets out of bed before we get into this sequence, I did want to say that during his time with this group of people watching this uh, soccer match, mm-hmm. I was thinking, poor Rial. Yeah. Yeah. Because she's just at home. Mm-hmm. He's getting to experience this, even a small sense of community. Yeah. And, and I'm like, he's her only person. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm like, I hope. And her saying, oh, maybe I'll go out tomorrow. I'm like, good. Good. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully you can experience something like this. That's why I thought that I was thinking it was like they can't go out because they just got each other. I thought they were supposed to stay home, but I guess you're right. Yeah. If he drew her the map, he's like, just stay in the neighborhood. Yeah. yeah. But the stairs creak as Bull makes his way down to the first floor. The light is on in the living room. He flips the switch, but nothing happens. He continues clicking it back and forth, but the bright bulb continues its buzzing in the center of the ceiling. Bull looks up at it puzzled, but suddenly a strip of wallpaper begins to peel itself away. It slides down, revealing a rotting wall with a yawning black hole at its center. I got to say that piece of wallpaper was an overachiever because that was never never meant to do what it was doing. (laughs) It's like, no, I got this, guys. I appreciate the attempt. (laughs) It's like, God damn. He's like, this is all I can do, guys. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's it for me. 
We watch through the hole as Bull goes over and places his hand on the wall before pulling it away and looking at it quizzically. He sets his sights on the hole, peering inside, and he doesn't notice behind him that the door is slowly creaking closed. He grips onto a hanging wire, and when he pulls, the light goes out, casting the room in darkness. He continues pulling at the cord hand over hand until it's not a cord anymore at all. It's a rope. Seaweed clings to the rope as Bull pulls more frantically. The impossibly long rope continues to spill from the wall as a figure just out of focus sidles up behind Bull. He doesn't sense or see this and continues pulling until finally the rope pulls taut and Yagak's doll is tied in its center. I was like, <gasps> yeah. See, and then this is where I was starting to think like, oh, this doll's just, okay. yeah. you know, mm-hmm. not that like, you know, a, a spirit's attached to a doll or anything. I thought it was more kind of localized in the house. What's going on? Mm-hmm. Oh, OK. Because we still don't have any. No. You know. Right. Right. And it does. I mean, it is clearly linked to trauma and grief, but we also learn that it's linked to other things, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was just, again, he reached into the wall on the first night and the second night he is just pulling at this. Yeah. Yeah. I would never. I just, no. I am, you know. It's like, there better be a cat on the other <laughs> side of the thing. <laughs> <laughs> but before Bull can do anything or react, a hand reaches from the wall and snatches the doll back inside. Bull cries out and backs away. He glances behind him, but there is no one there. And when he looks back at the wall, the wallpaper is neatly in place as if none of this ever happened. He bangs on the wall and we immediately cut to him peeling the wallpaper away in long sheets. Rial wakes up in bed with the morning sunlight spilling over her from the window. She goes downstairs to find that Bull has peeled every scrap of wallpaper from the unsightly walls in the living room. She calls out for her husband, and when he doesn't answer, she gets to work sweeping up the piles of wallpaper that he left behind on the floor. I just had a couple things. Firstly, when it comes to what happened this night, I understand he is not telling things Mm -hmm. to Rial from the very start and the very introduction of his character. But when we've pulled this cable, Mm -hmm. there's seaweed attached to it and her doll. Yeah. And then the dude from It Follows was behind me. (laughs) (laughs) And then the next morning, I'm just tearing off this wallpaper. They don't want us to light a candle, but let me rip up. Yeah. You know, so again, I'm just like, this is this is a lot. Yeah, I I enjoyed the rope bit a lot. Uh-huh. Um I just that was very shitty to leave your partner to clean this up. Yeah. <laughs> also, At least sweep before you go, man. Just I tuck mean, he, everything in the corner. He left a fucking yeah. mess. And also the other thing I think about with this film is the timeline of it because if we're supposed to check in every week, mm-hmm. you know, I wonder how long they're actually in this house throughout the film. Okay, okay. Well, that makes sense for something later. Yeah. Okay. If you're like, that's that has happened God in this. Damn, yeah, yeah, dude. That's a lot. Fuck. I didn't even think about that. But Rial opens up a closet and stops in her tracks as something within illuminates her face. We see what she sees inside. A group of people huddled together in the back of a Toyota truck. Nyagak blinks slowly as she stares at her through the bars. Rial closes her eyes in sorrow. So this was kind of where I really, really started to connect these sightings in the house to not exactly something supernatural yet. 
Okay. Almost manifestations of something. Okay. Yeah. Of memories, of trauma. And then I'm wondering, you know, hers is very somber and subtle. Mm-hmm. From our view, it's just this light that begins to glow and we yeah. see everything. For him, it is frightening horror. It's intense. Yeah. And so I'm like, what is, what's the difference between their past mm. experiences, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And how is it manifesting itself? Right. Interesting. Yeah. At the store, Bull walks down the aisles, placing tools in his basket. When he picks up a hammer, he tests its weight in his hand, flipping it around before deciding on it and throwing it in the basket as well. So Rial's still asleep, and he's like, I'm going to strip all the wallpaper, mm-hmm. and let me go to the store to make this easier. Like, he just he just <laughs> takes off. Yeah. So I don't, I understand, I mean, if this is where they're going to be staying, he's trying to fix up this issue. Mm-hmm. But I am just kind of surprised that he just immediately took it upon himself to do it. Yeah. Because I wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah, no, the dude, it sounded like dude didn't want us to touch anything. Yeah. I mean, so, he said fix the light and the door. That's you it. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. And well, I don't, no, he said he was going to fix the light. He, he did. He said, we'll take care of that. He yeah, never comes back. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> and then they are resorting to something that they were told they couldn't do because they don't have a choice. Yeah. Yeah, oh, you're yeah. right. The light. Fuck, mm-hmm. you're right. But Rial leaves the house and locks the door behind her before consulting the map that Mark drew her. Her destination is the clinic on Church Street, which seems to be a short walk away. She strides past a park, and when a teenager tries to get her attention, she ignores him. He repeatedly asks her, hello, before walking away annoyed. I was already scared. Mm -hmm. It starts off tense. Yeah. And you're just following in this tracking shot, her walking through the neighborhood, and it begins with this kind of seeming, you hope it ends here. Right. Yeah. But you don't know because of just anything. Mm Mm-hmm. Rial looks back at him once he goes, but continues to walk quickly on her path. She hears a baby crying, but when a child walks past her, the stroller that he's pushing is empty. That is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. A dog barks angrily as she passes a fence, but she quickly comes to a dead end, one side gated and a wall on the other side where a kid kicks a soccer ball. She has to backtrack the way she came. But when she comes around the other side, there is the same kid kicking the same ball against another wall. It is very surreal. Mm -hmm. And I feel like my first interpretation of it was just this idea of even when given these um, instructions and directions, we're still in a place that we've never been before. Yeah. Yeah. We're still in a place that is new and confusing and far more complicated than we could even consider. Yeah. yeah. And so this kind of going through a maze is it's like, you know, it may be easy for you, but not but me. But I'm not, yeah, I don't, I'm not, I'm from, not from, here. from here. And it's also kind of indicative of these boundaries and barriers that are put in place by the system yeah. that make it more difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, one also, just a bit of a horror reference that I caught and then was confirmed in that commentary. But this is Remy Weeks's love letter to The Shining. Mm. okay you have a maze like yes. the edge maze and then you have a set of twins looking yeah that kind of yeah. look like danny <laughs> yeah they yeah they kind of <laughs> do but yeah i was like is this a fucking nightmare yeah yeah and that's that's funny because for me when i was watching this and uh i was at this point i was like okay they didn't make it mm. and this okay. is a go between 
for, I guess, heaven or hell or whatever's after. So purgatory. Right. This. But, I mean, not like you're stuck here, but kind of more like a, a way station. Yeah. You know what I mean? Let's see how you... Uh, react in this kind of what these situations we're going to put you through and then that'll determine where you go mm-hmm. uh, i guess kind of like uh, the good place okay right and that kind of i mean because there's a couple of sequence things, i i can see why you would feel and that it way. makes me it's just kind of confusing and then the way they say things and then it's like i don't it's like all right but then later on i'm like no no no, no. this is all real yeah mm-hmm. Rial is confused, but she continues making her way. She finds three teens with their bikes in an empty parking lot. She walks over to them, at first trying to get their attention in Dinka before switching to English. They're already making fun of her before she even gets there. She addresses William, played by Rosick Kukoyi, showing him her crude map and asking how to get to Church Street. He makes fun of her accent and taunts her, telling her how to say Church Street instead. He puts his arm around her and gives her vague instructions, but he's interrupted by George, played by Gamba Cole. He tells William that he's got it all wrong. He tells Rial the right way to go, which is in a completely different direction, but he's swiftly interrupted by Philip, played by Bradley Branton. George has got it all wrong. It's down there, over by the bank. He tells George, remember, by the bank. George suddenly realizes that Philip is right. They tell her that's the way to go. And when she asks if they're sure, they tell her that they are 100%. She thanks him and Dinka and starts to walk away. But they all laugh at her, telling her to go back to fucking Africa because they only speak English around here. Rial swallows her emotion as she continues forward. I was, this part made me so nervous it made my stomach hurt. Because there's so much at play Already the way that the neighbors are acting, already her feeling lost in this like surreal maze of these backyards and houses. Mm -hmm. And as a woman making this trip Mm -hmm. and having to rely on other people for help and just that like conspiratorial, no, remember by the bank, what's by the bank? Like that, this was scary as fuck to me. Yeah. She was just trying to ask for directions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was like, dude, what? She's trying to get to the doctor. Like. I think I think what upset me the most is that there is this unspoken understanding and connection yeah. and acknowledgement. We see each other and we help each other. Mm-hmm. Right. And then to have this be the experience. Yeah. yeah. It was heartbreaking. It's it's it is. It's devastating. Mm-hmm. I was surprised, though, because the, in the next scene, she's at the clinic. Yeah. 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 The- <laughs> See, even like that. So we deal with this, but then right away, where will we need to be? Yeah, and we don't see her find it. Yeah. Yeah. I can see definitely why you would have that theory. Because I was like, well, I thought that they were going to lead her like, I don't know, somewhere bad or somewhere abandoned or whatever, just to laugh at her, just to like make her day more difficult. But I mean, she she found her way, but we don't see how because I do not think that they gave her the right instructions. Not at all. Dr. Hayes, played by Emily Taff, wraps a blood pressure cuff around Rial's arm. The women look at each other in silence as the cuff loudly tightens. Breaking the silence, Dr. Hayes tells Rial that she loves her necklace. Rial says that it was Nyagax, and Dr. Hayes prattles along, asking if that's her daughter. She has one herself who's a real handful. She asks if Rial has registered her daughter yet because she should get checked out too. Rial just looks at her blankly, and that's enough for Dr. Hayes to get the message. 
She reports that Rial's blood pressure is completely normal, and as she prepares to take blood, she compliments how pretty the scarification on Rial's temple is. Rial tells her that she's had it since she was a little girl, but she indicates the pattern on her forearm and says that she gave these to herself with the knife when she found her family butchered. Dr. Hayes' face grows somber as she takes Rial's blood and Rial continues. She explains that where she's from, there are two tribes and they're killing each other. You mark yourself depending on which tribe you belong to. Rial explains that she marked herself with both, so she was able to survive by belonging nowhere. There's so That is so heavy, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. statement. And this feeling kind of continues yeah. here. Yeah. I, I did want to call out the fact of her blood pressure being normal because... Just simply going to a doctor's office, mm-hmm. I have what they call white coat hypertension. Yes, me too. And so my blood pressure explodes every time I walk into a doctor's office. Yeah. yeah. And I was just thinking of that as her blood pressure being normal because this is nothing. Yeah. This yeah. Everything that she's experienced throughout her life, a doctor's appointment, uh-huh. nothing. Yeah. yeah. That's, a, that's, yeah. And I do want to point out that uh, the, I, the when I talk about going to the doctor, this is like a long distant memory. <laughs> this is America. I don't. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The doctor. The doctor. Yeah, yeah lucky. Ooh no. la la. You're, you're taken to the doctor. You don't, yeah. you don't go to the doctor. <laughs> this is America. <laughs> the doctor continues her work in silence, but Rial simply puts an end to any speculation on her daughter by saying, we lost her when we crossed the sea. I was surprised by how incredibly open and honest she was at the doctor's office. Yeah. But I kind of saw this as her connection that he had with um, the men in the pub. Yeah. See, that that's kind of what I got, too, because I was like, man, this is a like good performance. Like, right. I was like, damn, that, yeah. you know what I mean? She did think about it. She kind of st- was standoffish and was like, you know what? You're helping me. You're just yeah. trying to be nice. They, you know what I mean? Even Ball was like, you know what I mean? Good, wonderful, go out. Mm-hmm. And I got the same thing. I was like, this is her, like, okay, I'm cool. You know what I mean? Let's make friends. Mm-hmm. This is also the first person that's treated her with any kindness yes. that we've seen. Besides kind of Mark, but Mark was laying down a laundry list of rules yeah. and primarily speaking to her husband. Yeah, he wasn't there to talk. Yeah. yeah. So this was the first person that was like, oh, that's pretty. I like your necklace. You know what I mean? Like the first person that's kind of treated her like a person. Yeah. And honestly, I mean, you start to get ideas a little bit about what his house means mm-hmm. yeah you know through these kinds of moments with that conversation with mark yeah uh there is another interpretation that i kind of had a little bit later uh as far as what they encounter mm-hmm. okay and just you know mm-hmm. there's a lot of interpretations to be had yeah, yeah. But she arrives home later and we watch through the kitchen window as she places grocery bags on the counter. The entire time we hear the sound of liquid running. And when Rial glances out the window, she sees the culprit. We hear the liquid before we see her. And I was like, oh, she's giving a urine sample. And then we see that it's their their home. And I was Mm -hmm. like, oh, what is that sound? Mm -hmm. A teenage girl played by Kaina Boyle stands up from her squat, having just peed on the brick wall in their backyard. From around the corner, her friends tell her to hurry up. And as she rounds the corner to join them, she's like, I think someone's living here. <laughs> I. What the fuck? 
the only thing that I can take away as a positive is that it wasn't targeted. Yeah. True. If you don't think the people are living there, you're like, I'm just going to pop a squat real quick. <laughs> yeah. At least that's not, I'm pissing here because of this. Because you yeah. live here. Yeah. Okay, fair so, enough. Yeah. But I'm just like, God damn. But then how long has this place been abandoned? I don't know. Yeah. Like, this is where we piss. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we leave I gotta our go empty, to the bathroom. <laughs> well, not even our empty. We leave our pizza boxes here yeah. and, and we piss and on our that piss. wall. Yeah. yeah. But Rial goes into the living room and sits down in the middle of the floor, facing a large gash in the middle of the wall over a hole by the floor. A low voice rumbles the word, come, and the grocery bags fall in the kitchen, sending fruit rolling across the floor. When it stops, the voice beckons again, repeating itself, and the fruit continues to roll. We watch the journey through the hole in the wall and peer up at Rial, who stares back in shock. So Rial's memory that she saw when she opened the door earlier could be taken as just a memory of trauma mm-hmm. of this harrowing experience that she went through to get here. Yeah. This is kind of her first supernatural experience in the house. Yeah. Right. And I mean, I, again, Bol has had his experiences mm-hmm. and hasn't told anyone about them, just suddenly started tearing up the wall and doing what he's doing. Yeah. And this is her first foray into whatever is happening in this house. Yeah. I just want to point out the fact it's just dawning on me when we see, and then the scene that's about to start right now, it's night when bull finally comes back home. Yeah. He experienced that last night, Mm -hmm. ripped off all the wallpaper and just fucking left his wife alone all day. Yeah. Into the night. He kind of, whatever is in the wall, he gave it more access to the outside. Yeah. And then he's like, I'm going to go well, now. <laughs> gotta go. Because if you pay attention, the hole's gone when he rips all that wallpaper down. It is. And then now. Yeah. It's mm. in a different place. And when she gets closer, it looks different. So. Bowl. Yeah. And this is kind of what's the thing about this house feeling like this living, breathing thing. Yeah. yeah. Character all in itself because little changes like that yeah. adds to this like unsettling, it's surreal. Yeah. And I mean, what what what's with the, why do you want that peach so bad? Yeah. To mm, summon yeah. the entire grocery? Because mm-hmm. was he talking to her or was he summoning the food? Huh. Or showing that he could. Yeah. yeah. Huh. I don't know. Yeah. But it's night when Bull comes home and he finds Rial sitting on a blanket on the living room floor, lit by a candle with dinner spread out in front of her. He immediately apologizes for losing track of time, but Rial looks up at him in disappointment. He asks if she went outside, and when she nods, he chuckles and tells her that that's wonderful. He kicks off his shoes and goes to join her, saying that maybe next time they can use the table. Before he sits down, he surveys the spread for a moment before disappearing in the other room. Rial takes a taste of food, but freezes when she hears the clattering of silverware in the kitchen. Bull returns with forks and knives for each of them to use, and Rial takes them reluctantly. She uses them to take a bite of food and grimaces, commenting that all she can taste is the metal. But Bull is giggling and pleased. He assures his wife that she'll get used to it. He says that they're going to thrive because he's seen the jobs here. With a smile, he says that they give you a chance here. He proposes that they could even start a family. But Rial only responds to this with a look of confusion. And Bull admits that he's restless before returning to his food. That line 
says so much and we will realize how much it says later mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we can start a family here mm-hmm. yeah it's just and again it seems just not it's not a throwaway line because it's incredibly important just even in the context of this scene before we know everything yeah but when you return to this film and watch it again mm-hmm. it's just unbelievable. you realize how how much yeah yeah um i just really like this push pull this like silent back and forth between the two of them about bull really wanting to embrace where he is. Yeah. And real kind of doing things the way that they've always done them because that is their culture and that's what they do. And just this casual, like maybe we'll eat at the table next time. Oh, you didn't put any forks out, you know? And it's like, what? This scene to me is kind of what I spoke about in the intro a little bit, mm-hmm. where it seems like this interaction and the dynamic between them is just speaking to this struggle between that cultural identity yeah. and yeah. assimilation, mm-hmm. kind of trying to figure out how to balance these things when you are in this situation. Right. Yeah. I, and I, I, it's it's difficult and it's sad really for both of them. Mm-hmm. But I just feel like it's done in such an intelligent way because it could be very easy to have bull come home and be like, no, no, no. Why, why are you on the floor? Yeah. Where are the forks? No, we use forks now. We're in England. You know what I mean? Mm. Like the fact that he's just gently being like, look, let's, let's do this. Or maybe next time we can use the table. He's he's yeah. doing it in such a gentle way because I don't think that it, it, it's not coming from a dark or negative place. It's just him trying to do what he was told fit in make friends like yeah it's 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 hard for both of them it's just a hard situation but that that's like we said earlier it helps them knowing each other it helps sell the yes. feeling yeah mm-hmm. it helps you to believe like you said the back and forth mm-hmm. Rial breaks the silence with the story that her mother used to tell her in the story there was an honorable man in their village honorable but poor he wanted a home for himself, and that want was so severe that he began to steal from other people. One day, he stole from an old man who lived by the river, not knowing that the man was in a path. She identifies this as a night witch. He says that the poor man had no way of knowing that when he built his home, the apeth would also live there, and the walls would whisper his spells. The dead would come from the shadows and the apeth wouldn't stop until the man was consumed entirely. She tells Bull that an apeth has risen from the ocean and followed them here. She confesses that it spoke to her. Bull's jaw is set in defiance, but when something thuds and clatters in the next room, it attracts his attention. He turns back to his wife, asking her tersely, what did it say? She tells him, We don't belong here. She reasons that if they leave and repay their debt, it will guide them back to Nyagak. Fighting back tears, Rial smiles, but Bull struggles to tell her that she is gone. Rial protests, her words slipping into Dinka, and Bull chastises her to speak in English. Rial insists that she will speak her mother's tongue and does as the back and forth escalates. Bull repeating that they lost her at sea and Rial trying to convince him that she is alive. When Bull's own tongue slips back into Dinka, he yells and we hear a dish break. 
Using English again, he tells her that they have grieved enough. There is no witch. He eats aggressively using his fork. And Rial admits that she's convinced herself that it was a dream. And maybe she was just imagining things that weren't there. We are in tight on Bull's face before switching to Rial's. She says, but now she looks into his eyes and she tells him harshly, you're a liar. So the use of the epeth mm-hmm. in this context through the folklore is very fascinating. Mm-hmm. Right. I did read the abstract of this essay by Godfrey Leinhart and translated from French. I just wanted to share a passage that was very interesting. Okay. It says, the Dinka talk about witchcraft in general without showing any discomfort, but they have a strong aversion to associating the name of a specified person with these practices. The Dinka do not tract sorcerers for specifically criminal intentions. The idea of a peth rather involves envy, frustration, or malice directed against the community or against some oh. of its members. And so knowing more the idea of the apeth and how it's perceived it really does explain yeah. the use of it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, mm. yeah. I'm struggling. I don't even want to talk because I'm afraid, like, because we can't talk about it yet. Yeah, right. not yet, but it's like, you know, I, I just think that it's very interesting to use this folklore. Yes. Right. Later, Bull peels the wallpaper in another room. He continues his work, oblivious to the shadow we see in the doorway behind him. When he hears a dragging sound, he calls out for his wife, but receives no answer. He turns his attention back to the wall, but reacts when he feels a deep sigh on the back of his neck. He looks into the darkness of the other room as the humming begins again, joined this time by a deeper voice. Someone shuffles into the center of the next room, and they sway on their feet for a moment before turning toward Bowl, their neck creaking loudly. He looks away when the dishes crash loudly in the sink, and once he is distracted, rapid footsteps echo. The footsteps crescendo when the figure glides past the door, calling out in a small voice, Mama. Just again. Yeah. The candle, Bull's lone source of light, promptly blows out, leaving him in darkness. His breath shuddering, Bull snatches up a flashlight and shines it into the next room. A child sits on the floor, muttering Mama over and over again as she stabs a knife into the floor repeatedly. Bull calls out his daughter's name, but when he approaches her, she turns up to him, her face hidden behind a mask, and swipes at him with the knife. Bull backs away and the child disappears and he follows the sound of footsteps again to the ceiling where she jumps down, descending on him with the knife that she stabs into the floor between his legs. She backs away from him, standing against the opposite wall. But when Bull is able to level the flashlight at her, there is no one there. So the mask is a striking visual. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Weeks had said that his attempt of using it was trying to strike a balance between African culture and influence and horror cliche. Mm. Okay, okay. And so it is kind of this difficult thread to... Needle to thread? Yeah. Is that the phrase? Yes. It's a difficult needle to thread. (laughs) (laughs) We got there. Because it would be difficult to reconcile if you lean too far one way or the other. Yeah. And so I think that it really does strike a very good balance between them where you feel this for sure as something of horror and you feel the cultural influence yeah Mm -hmm. 
this was very scary. Yeah. Um, this whole little part right here of the yeah. little section. Um, I, again, though, you weren't in that room. You don't need to be taking the wallpaper down from over there. Leave that. Leave that room alone. Just fix this one first. He's like, this yeah. is just home improvement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, yeah, put the wallpaper up in yeah, the naked yeah. room. And then because those walls. Yeah. Yeah, but this is how I feel when I start any creative project. <laughs> I, I'm like, oh, well, I'll start here, and then, oh, what's this? <laughs> then, well. That's fair. I feel like um, the dude from King of the Hill when he's like, there's more files here than there are stars in the universe. <laughs> when an hour ago, I'm like, let's go, let's go, let's go. <laughs> I get overwhelmed. Uh, yes. Voices overlap. Whispers, humming, footsteps, and it's all too much for Bowl. He runs outside, gasping and drenched in sweat. The neighbor with the cat looks down at him blandly from her window, and he offers her a small, nervous smile before going back into the house. The cat was also looking down the, cat the, was <laughs> <laughs> the exact same way, so <laughs> that could be attributed to either of them. <laughs> He creeps back toward the room, but Rial's voice stops him. Standing on the stairs and looking down at him, she points out with a certainty, you saw it. Bull doesn't respond. Instead, he opens the closet door to find Yagak's doll inside. He picks it up and stares at it in horror. He runs upstairs past Rial. She asks what he's doing, and he tells her frantically that they need to destroy everything. Everything they've brought with them is cursed. They've been marked. When he is snatching up things that belong to her father, Rial tries to protest, but there's no stopping him. She asks what he saw, but he pushes past her again, yanking the scarf from her hair as he rushes down the stairs. He pulls off his own shirt as he goes, and when Rial catches up to him downstairs, he stands shirtless, setting fire to their belongings in the backyard. Emotional, Rial rushes for their things, but Bull restrains her. He eyes the beads around her neck, but Rial looks at him defiantly. She tells him in Dinka, don't leave me with nothing. She stares at him and repeats in English, don't. But Bull snatches the beads, breaking the necklace and dropping it into the small fire. He leaves Rial alone, the light from the flames dancing on her face. So this entire sequence, there is so much that is going on mm -hmm. from his horror and fright to this absolute frantic behavior, mm -hmm. this desire to cleanse themselves with fire, and then this tragedy of snatching this necklace from her. Yeah. yeah. I wanted to just very quickly commend the editing, the sound design, and the cinematography just of this whole section. Mm -hmm. And I looked it up and I was very intrigued to find the cinematographer was Joe Williams and he shot 30 Days of Night. Oh. And Hard Candy. Yes. Okay. I love Hard Candy. <laughs> and the editor was Julia Block, who works with Jeremy Saunier, and she edited Blue Ruin and Green Room. Hey. Oh, hey, all right. But this entire sequence is just amazing. And yeah. the little horrors that we see, mm -hmm. what we hear, the skittering around, the voices, it's just like, I don't know, just the sound design is just impeccable. Yeah. But I absolutely gasped when he took that necklace. Yeah. yeah. And I was just so, just her pleading was so just sincere and just, please, don't. Mm -hmm. And he still did it. Which only I think demonstrates the fear of the Apeth. Right. And also just, I mean, the desperation. Right. The desperation and Bull's 
ability to do whatever he thinks he needs to do in the moment. Mm-hmm. Whether, whether. <laughs> yeah. Um, I had a couple things here as well. Uh, we said that a lot of people were surprised by how quickly this couple accepts what is happening. There is no stage of denial. There is no stage of, no, you didn't see that. Oh, we must be tired, yeah. whatever. And he said a lot of that stemmed from his own annoyance and impatience with other movies that do that song and dance for a while before it's like, oh, okay, we're haunted. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And I really appreciated that. We bitch about that all the time. We bitch about believe your wife, believe your husband, believe your partner. We talk about that all the time. That's what I was talking about in the intro. Yeah. yeah. Where we're kind of breezing past this standard. Yes. Yeah. And I really appreciate it because sometimes it's just like, okay, check the box. They have to be like, no, this isn't real, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But they're, both of them are like, no, I saw what the fuck I saw and I know what it means and, you know, whatever. And I think that speaks to something else that they know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it isn't about denial because we know this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just didn't... How do you know? I I could understand where he came to with we've you know we've been marked you know but how how do you know that how are you for sure because like you said when he went for the necklace she was like don't don't take it yeah and he was like no fuck that but it's like how do you know you couldn't just leave her with that you couldn't just you know like what how do you know that I I get I get that as well. I think it's just it's so difficult and it's such an emotional moment. Yeah. But I feel like I mean everything that we've experienced, I think it's pretty safe. We've been marked. But the but the I mean like with the stuff. Yeah, we've oh. been had, but I'm saying like all the stuff like like yeah, which, no, we which yeah, items? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, did you so, say we've been had? Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> we've been had. But, uh, <laughs> they foiled us. Well, <laughs> well, they gotten away with it. Anyway, I mean, honestly, you know? yeah. yeah. But how? Do, like that's what I'm saying. You don't know that this necklace is hit. Please don't take every yeah. fucking thing we have, dude. That's what she said. Don't leave me yeah. with nothing. I think that what we learn explains that, right? Why that item? Yeah. No. Yeah. And so it's it's difficult now because right now you're like, damn, yeah, man. like really, yeah. But then later you're like, of course something is attached. Mm-hmm. Yes. Of course there's this feeling and right, certainty, right. but you don't feel that yet. Yeah. Right. Not right now. Yeah. I also read something interesting and I feel like now is probably a good time to talk about it. But they said that or Remy Weeks said that he got a lot of notes back from producers who had reservations about their dynamic, about Bowl and Real's dynamic, because they said that they were and this. This is their words. Gender swapped. That Bowl is emotional and erratic and Real is kind of strong-willed and stoic and that it didn't make sense and that your needing your leading lady is supposed to be terrified what yeah but i just feel like that's just the stereotype yes it's just the cliche thing it's the antiquated antiquated binary kind of a way of thinking yeah and it's very possible for human beings to (laughs) not be a monolith uh dictated by it's it yeah you know it's yeah. it's a really like kind of it's just disappointing to hear yeah like that that was even a factor of them being like look I don't I don't know about this dude but yeah. a, a lot of producers think that way 
because they're like, well, this worked in the past, so this has to be how it's always done. And what did we say? Why did we appreciate so much of this film? Because it was so unique and different. Exactly. Mm -hmm. We don't need to keep doing the same shit over and over. We don't need to keep playing into the same tired stereotypes. Not every, you know, I don't, I don't know. It just, I was like, really? In 2020 or whatever the fuck? That's, that's wild. I don't get, I, I, it, that didn't never occur. Not once. <laughs> not one time not once. did I ever think that. Not one time was I like, you know what? Bowls too emotional. <laughs> when, <laughs> when dude is holding his head and like earlier and he, I felt that shit. Hey, yeah. Dude, I get it. Yeah. Like for real. I don't think that has anything. And if that's, if that's the thing and this is just me, there's a reason that it's mother earth. So, I mean, Mother Earth is holding us all on her back in carrying I life. Mean, so, I mean, I don't know where you're coming at with that. They're like, no, she needs to be crying and screaming. Yeah, and that's no. it. Yeah. Well, was the producer like a 90s hat comedian <laughs> yeah. or something? <laughs> where it's just like, women. <laughs> and men are like that. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what the fuck that is, but it is. It's a, ve- it's a big problem. Um, just as far as just, here's the thing, man. This is Rial. Yeah. And Bull. Yeah. yeah. This is how they react to this situation. And mm-hmm. they, they should not be representative of every Yeah. You know, it's it's just it's ridiculous. And again, never once did I be like, damn, she's for a woman. Yeah. Like, what? No. what is did I be like? <laughs> <laughs> it's just I'm tired, man. Everything's funny. But here's the thing. It felt wrong coming out, but it was too late. Your eyes darted. <laughs> Is anybody going to call me out? Uh, yes. But, uh, you know, I, it's just, it's it's so tired. And it's like, why do we keep playing into these stereotypes? And I just want, I wanted to talk about it because I'm so glad that he did not take no. those notes. Yeah. And again, we've said it since the beginning. These feel like real people. They don't feel like caricatures. They don't feel like stereotypes. They don't feel like repurposing of archetypes that we've seen again and again and again they feel like authentic people and they feel like a real lived in couple Mm -hmm. they just feel like human reactions yeah it's it's just annoying it i i was very surprised can't we just be people apparently not apparently not to produce (laughs) (laughs) not in the horror genre no (laughs) but at a mall being followed very closely by an out-of-focus security guard in the background Bull shops for shirts. I don't know if y'all caught that. I wanted to. I'm glad that you mentioned it because it is like this peering around. Yeah. It is a very familiar. Yes. And it's brilliant because I was expecting the scene to end with him being like, you finding everything okay? Yeah. They never even interact. Yeah. It's just this ever present thing that is happening that's just happening. And it's exactly as you said, out of focus. Yeah. Yeah. It's not even It's background noise. Yeah. Yeah. But again, a very, very relatable, uh, you know, fuck. Oh, yeah. But when Bowl sees an ad on the wall with the man sporting a polo, he takes a matching one off the rack and looks between the two, making sure that they match. He looks at the next ad, the same man in the polo wearing green chinos. His family in the ad are dressed in the store's clothing, and the ad highlights the wife's baby blue blouse. Bull picks up a pair of green chinos as we linger on the ad. Back at home, we see Rial wearing the same blue blouse and jeans from the ad as she watches Bull work. Yeah. 
I will say just the something they had mentioned on the commentary is that the ad was created by the production. Okay. Because I was like, why is this father just judging every yeah. single <laughs> <laughs> like he is just watching and he's just like, You won't look this good in the <laughs> fucking thing. I'm like, why are you, you don't even know what I look like? You don't even know what size I've chosen. Yeah, like, <laughs> 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 it does too thinking about it make me think of how he's trying to cover maybe his fear by like if i just fit in yeah. things are gonna get better mm. if i just fit in things are gonna get better it's what he was told that's yeah. literally what he was because told. i'm because as you know you're saying that i'm thinking replaying the movie in my head i'm like man he kind of seemed like he was in a hurry mm -hmm. so maybe that's just his panic and he was like look if i just you know we fit in we fit in things that's are fine so fit in. i was like god damn dude and i mean you think about what else is going on in his mind yeah so it's just like it is it really is a lot yeah but bull has his arm stuck into a hole in the wall gripping onto a cord but he suddenly yelps in pain when he pulls his arm free his hand is red with blood and it drips on the floor as he leaves the room he returns, fiddling with the cords and wires, and when he tries all of the light switches with his newly bandaged hand, the lights all come on. He smiles with pride, but the smile falters when he hears Rial whispering, pleading, he doesn't want to leave you, perhaps if you spoke to him. He finds Rial at the small dining table, sitting across from no one. So he was just trying to fix the lights. Yeah. But, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Just the lights. <laughs> But, uh, and I love you, but that's concerning. Uh, yeah. <laughs> if I go and I come around the corner and I hear you talking to somebody in the kitchen and there's nobody in the kitchen, <laughs> you know what I mean? Maybe that's a problem. What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you see as well the differing reactions to this haunting. Yeah. Yes. For sure. But that night, Bull sits across from Rial at the dinner table and slams his utensils next to her bowl. She ignores them and suggests that maybe Bull thinks that they're going mad. But Bull doesn't agree. He just thinks that it's not healthy for Rial to be alone all the time, dealing with her thoughts. He tells her that tomorrow they're going to find her something in the community to do. Rial says that they're not like them, but Bull counters that they can be. Rial asks, you don't wonder what it tells me? Bull concedes that maybe she is mad and just scaring herself with imaginary things in the dark. Rial asks him rhetorically that after everything they've been through, what they've seen that men can do is it really bumps in the night that can frighten her. She scoffs, asking if she could really be afraid of ghosts. This was so fucking good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it also, I mean, what I had mentioned kind of about the doctor's office. Yeah. It's put plainly here. Yeah. yeah. Her experiences. Mm -hmm. She tells Bull that it says that she can get her back and that she should be afraid of him. Bull reaches across the table and takes his wife's hand, ignoring what she just said. Similarly, she pulls away from him and begins to eat, ignoring the utensils that he brought her. We focus on Bull, his fork and knife clattering against his bowl as he eats. But as we zoom out, Rial is no longer sitting across from him at the table. And beyond their small table and the wall behind it, the house is gone. As Bull eats his meal, the small piece of his dining room floats on the sea. This visual is amazing. Yeah. It's fucking incredible. It is haunting, it is surreal, and it is very impactful. Mm -hmm. I just love the slow pull of the camera to reveal it all. Yeah. 
I did see in that FX montage how it was done. And I also read an interview with Remy Weeks talking about it. Mm -hmm. But it was basically just this piece of the kitchen wall placed into a shallow tank. And then you have blue screens around it and markers to know where it is. Yeah. And then all you do is digitally later you extend this ocean. Yeah, yeah. And you add this fog and you create this environment that feels very real. Yeah. It does. And it feels tangible because most of it is. Yeah. So it's like, you know, this incredible marriage of practical and digital. Yeah, and it, it and we always talk about how we prefer practical effects. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But using them both and when they do it the right way, yes. this helps you to get inside of the scene. Mm-hmm. You can almost feel like you're already imagining what's going on and mm-hmm. then you're like, oh shit, that's fucking terrifying. Yeah. If I had a dream like that or if some shit happened like that, just out of nowhere, I, I'm eating and then I look around and I'm like, I'm in the fucking sea? Yeah. yeah. Oh no. And it's so surreal because it's like even sitting here in London, Yeah. I'm still here. Mm-hmm. This is still in me. This yeah. is still going on. You know what I mean? It's it's a it's like a personification of of trauma. Oh yeah. But a gruff voice speaks to Bull, causing him to look up and take in his surroundings. The wind whistles against the sound of the voice murmuring to him. On the water, Bull sees figures wading through, the water splashing with their movement. Just below the sea's surface, he sees a tangle of bodies, one of which has its hand resting on the leg of his jeans. A lone eye in the body's skull rolls to rest on him and he flails in panic, crashing backwards into the water himself. Deformed and rotting bodies creep behind him hungrily and one rises tall in front of him. Bull suddenly wakes, trembling and afraid, sitting against the cut open wall in the living room. He looks out the window where two people pass by on the street, but once they're gone, his eyes linger on a shadowy corner. A figure, unnaturally stiff, steps forward and another person, like the ones he saw on the sea, takes shaky steps across the room. Bull scrambles to his feet and turns on the light. As the bulb buzzes above his head and the darkness is cast from the room, Bull looks around to see nothing is there. On the other side of the room, a small voice whispers, help me. Bull turns to see wet footprints being made as the sound of feet hitting the floor makes its way past him. The voice whispers again, I'm cold. Again with this digital practical. Mm -hmm. Because the footsteps in that FX reel were actually a person walking. Okay. And then they just got rid of the person. Wow. Like it's incredible. It's not as if the footprints were created completely digital. Right, right. You know, it's just very remarkable to give this feeling of things actually being there. Yeah. Yeah. He's reacting to footprints he sees. Well, yeah, because even though the light's on, that didn't stop you. No. I'm still fucked. And it's even, I, I would like to see you. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. like instead now you're just walking around me. I don't even know where you are. Yeah. Well, I know where you are. But, yeah. yeah. But still. Still. Yeah. What do you look like? <laughs> <laughs> With a trembling hand, Bull turns the light back off. When he scans the room now, he comes face to face with the figure frozen in the darkness. The voice begins to cry desperately. Help me. But it's cut short when Bull turns the light back on. There is still growling and voices and Bull reaches out as a man's voice pleads with him to help him. The voices rise and mingle, but they stop when he hears Nyagak's voice call out above the rest of them. 
Mama? Bolt looks into the next room where Nagak's voice continues to beckon. He begins to walk toward the door to follow it, but suddenly the light in the hallway dims to nothing. And when Bolt gets closer to the door, the light in the living room switches off and he's met with someone shuffling toward him in the hallway. Bolt turns to run, but he's suddenly face to face with a tall man looming over him. The light suddenly turns back on and the man disappears. But when Bol looks over at the light switch, it's Nyagak standing in her white mask with its uneven eyes, staring up at him with her small hand on the switch. Bol says her name, but she quickly switches the light off again and the room immediately fills with the growling corpses shuffling toward him. They grab hold of him, moving and twisting unnaturally as Nyagak climbs up on his back and places her small blade against his throat. Crying out, Bull reaches for the light switch, struggling for air, and when he's finally able to get the light on, he is once again alone. He fights for air, choking against the invisible corpses that had their grips on him. But when he looks across the room at the hole in the wall, Nagak peers back up at him. She scrambles through the wall, her small foot poking through the ceiling as she rushes through, peeking at him through the multiple holes cut into the wall as she goes. Bull has had enough. He screams that it's his house. He takes a hammer and begins to smash holes in the walls, screaming again and again that this is his house. We see him through the window, the living room light the only one on in the neighborhood, as he continues to use his hammer to break more holes in the walls. So that's not going to be good. No. Whenever the lights are off and they like just overtake him, firstly, I did think of Homer whenever they were cleaning the basement. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah because and again he was screaming quietly too why wasn't he screaming for real he's like sweetie turn the yeah. light on please yeah. like, well, help. She's gonna be yeah. like, I, help. I, I told you i fucking told you yeah but look i need, <laughs> I need your help badly yeah, i would like to think that you being petty is not gonna get in the way but like uh-uh we let can him have do, you we can would do you, both you would really stand in the doorway and be like yep i t- i told you i would turn the light on and be like what now there is a knife at my throat yeah <laughs> please turn on the light the light is on. Well, now. But now we need to talk about how wrong you are. <laughs> <laughs> Can I catch my breath first? No. Jeez. That was very scary. <laughs> I, I do want to commend also the sound design from a lot of these moments. Yes. Yeah. There's that peering into the darkness where we hear something approaching. Mm-hmm. It made me think of that the only successful portion of that scare in It Chapter 2 whenever the witch lady comes yeah. out. Oh, yeah. And that was horribly designed and ridiculous. Well, that, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about that terrible, terrible moment. That was ruined. That was much better in the book. Okay, okay. I'm um, sorry. But anyway, anyway, what I'm trying to say <laughs> is that that sound of approaching footsteps is one of my things in horror that just frightens me Yeah, yeah. every single time, especially coming out from the darkness. You don't know what it's going to be, what it's going to look like, Yeah, anything, but the sound of it is so impending and so frightening. And I feel like there's something about just the quickness of it mm-hmm. because in horror, we see so many like, like your Michael Myers is that just stroll or like they creep in the shadows or whatever, but something that is racing toward you, that's fucking scary. And nothing has been that yet. No. So the pace of it is like... Yeah. Yeah. But more to the point of him not calling out for Rial, mm. I obviously something is happening here more than meets the eye. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the scene with the fruit and then abruptly she's prepared dinner and Bull is coming home. I was like, oh, she's possessed. Mm, because she's just right. kind of looking up at him from the floor and then it quickly becomes clear that that's not what it is. And then they're at the dining room table and it pans out and she's gone. 
Yeah. And he's not crying out. She's not coming downstairs. Nothing. I was like, oh, she's dead. And he's seeing her. Oh, uh. that's what I thought for a little bit. And then it quickly that it cannot be true either. Yeah. And so I'm just like, what is going on? That Because I know that there's more than what we're being told. Mm-hmm. Well, there's this frightening implication of a possible deal being struck. Yeah, that, and I think you mentioned oh. it t- uh, earlier, T, but I did notice that too. I was like, man, you guys are having two very different interactions with whatever this is. Yeah, yeah. well, she says repay our debt. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. what she says. So, Or repay the debt. Mm-hmm. And what she said at dinner too. Yeah. yeah. This recent dinner that she disappeared from. Uh-huh. That too, just, just even thinking that, it's like, so you're fucking talking to this thing? And the way what? she says it, you don't wonder what it tells me? Like, right? this is an ongoing, yeah. not what it told me, no. what yeah. it tells me. That is, that's a lot. And it has, and if you're a bowl, you're like, it hasn't told me anything. Yeah. yeah. It's just been scaring the shit out of yeah. me. Yeah. So... <laughs> Can we set up a meeting or something yeah. where you can also, can you be the I would like to talk yeah. to it to figure out what I can do. Yeah. But suddenly, Bull wakes up on the bus. In the cut of this, I'm like, he's losing his mind. Mm-hmm. We see him again in Mark's office, looking worse for wear, but clearly trying to hold it together. So what we were saying earlier is this is one week check-in. Yeah. That's what I thought. And I was also surprised that Rial wasn't there. Yeah. With him. Yeah, but it, I'm like, she's dead. Oh. She's oh, not. She's not. She's yeah. not. I'm just saying. I was trying no, to. Wait, yeah. Yeah. I, I I hate that I do that, but I can't stop doing that. Then I'm like, what is it? What is it? You know what I mean? <laughs> you should hear us on the corner of Creep and No Sleep. You really should. Yeah. It's available to all tiers. Join us on Patreon. Yes, please. <laughs> but both Mark and Adam, played by Ian Horgan, eye him with some concern until Mark sends Adam to get Bowl some juice. Once Adam steps away, Mark asks Bull in a friendly voice, what's going on? Sweating profusely, Bull says, the house? Mark takes this to mean that he's having trouble with the property, and Bull doesn't correct him. Jotting down notes, Mark asks if he wants to live somewhere else, and Bull nods. Adam delivers the juice, and Mark passes it to Bull, saying that he can look into it, but first Bull needs to tell him what the problems are. Well, there's this one room that if you turn off the light, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if this is just customary, but it's, it's been giving us a lot of problems. Yeah, no sh- <laughs> I don't know if it's just our house or like yeah. the neighborhood. Is the whole block or what's going on? But Bull says that there are vermin, rats and bugs that are making them sick. In fact, Rial is very ill. And when she went to the doctor, the doctor told them that they need to get out of the house. <laughs> like, Bull. And you know, yeah. him saying that, I get where you're even more developing that, that yes. theory of yours. Yeah. Mark asks him where, and Adam chimes in that Bull's house is bigger than his. Mark lowers his voice, telling him sincerely that this is going to raise a lot of questions. They're going to ask why he and Rial aren't adapting. But Bull says that they are adapting. After a long sigh, Mark tells Bull that he used to work in a bank, too. Sometimes you end up in places you never thought you'd be, but he thinks that that's life trying to tell you what kind of man you are. He tells Bull that he's trying to work out what kind of man he is. Bull smiles through this, saying that he just needs a new house. Yeah. His frantic energy that he's trying to contain as like, well, I'm just like, we're just having a conversation. Yeah, like yeah. it's it's hard. And it only, it just heightens and heightens. Mm-hmm. It gets worse. So real quick, see right here, I went back to 
oh, they're in the way station. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because what he says, he's like, I used to be a banker too, but they, you know, sometimes they make you get a job or whatever. He yeah. said, he's like, that you don't want to. And I was like, what does that mean? Yeah. Does that mean when you pass and you come here, they assign you to do stuff mm. if you're just stuck here? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, like you said, like purgatory. Yeah. But everybody else is able to just come through. So I was like, what? I was like, what What does that mean, dude? Yeah. it's And there is a lot to be interpreted. Yeah. I feel like these kind of varied theories only make the film more fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Sitting back in his chair, Mark says that they'll get Bull a new house after the inquiry. Bull is confused, but Mark tells him straight, look at the state of you. He tells him that he doesn't look well. In fact, he looks ill and he smells bad and he's not making any sense. He has to report this. And then people, not him, but people are going to ask why he's biting the hand that feeds him. Pleadingly, Bull says that they could live anywhere else. But Mark says that rats are everywhere. And after Bull's insistence that it could be anywhere else still, Mark is like, oh, so this isn't about the rats. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bull confides that there is something really wrong. And when he struggles with his words, Mark tells him to just tell him. And Bull laughs a restrained, humorless laugh. Mark points out that it can't be that bad if he's laughing. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Your perception of these events, you think this is a genuine good vibes yeah. laugh? Yeah. This is fear escaping through my teeth. Yeah. This is not at all. He's like, all. see, yeah. we're all happy. You're yeah. laughing. He's like, see, it's just fine. This is a party now. No. <laughs> but he says that he'll make a fuss if Bull really wants him to. Continuing with his uncomfortable laugh, Bull tells him, yes. We hear the glass of juice pop and break under the pressure of Bull's hands, and now everyone is staring at him. Bull looks down at the glass shards in his hands and then up at his audience before getting up and rushing out, ignoring Mark when he asks him to hold on. So that, to me, feels like what we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Where we heard the sound of laughter and glass breaking. Mm-hmm. Ah, all right. Very, very good. Back at the house, Rial sits on the couch. She hears Mama and turns to the hole in the wall where Nyagak scurries. She sticks her small hand through and drops something. It's the charred and burned beaded necklace. Rial gives no reaction to this, only looking up stoically at the small masked faces staring back at her from the holes in the wall. Bull returns home, and as he goes to unlock the door, the neighbor, smoking a cigarette in her doorway, asks him, why don't you just leave? Bull turns to her, telling her that this is his house, but she repeats herself. Why doesn't he just leave when they're going to kick him out anyway? She's only trying to help him. I was like, bitch, yeah. give me give me your cat. <laughs> you, don't, you don't deserve that cat. I know he judged me earlier, but he seems sweet. Yeah. The, cat. Yeah. <laughs> the cat seems sweet. He was only judging under your influence. Here And here's the thing, though. What's, what's absolutely terrible is that everything they're experiencing in this house. Mm-hmm. But... On the outside, yeah. all the neighbor heard was him losing his mind yeah. last night. And yeah. breaking holes in the walls. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, and there's no explanation. There's no understanding. Yeah. There's no conversation. No. Are you okay? Yeah. What happened last night? Anything, Nothing. Yeah. but why don't you just leave? And it, I mean, it's clear that reports have been made. Oh, yeah. Yes. She takes a drag off her cigarette and looks back at him boldly, telling him that she gives it a week. As if on cue, a vehicle pulls up and outsteps Mark and burly officer played by Perry Warner. 
So immediately after Bo left, they were like, we got we to gotta go to the house. Yeah. Well, look at how he left. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, hold on. No. <laughs> and he runs away. No, thanks. Yeah. With the broken glass in his hand. Yes. Yeah. And this is your weekly meeting. Yeah. Your first. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Presumably. So it's, it's rough. We cut to Bull sitting on the couch and Mark and the officer standing in the living room, now stripped clear of its wallpaper and multiple holes knocked in the walls. I thought they see this. They see the damage and they're like, have you been lighting candles in here? (laughs) (laughs) Were you playing Uno in this room? (laughs) They only noticed the candle burning. Is that a draw four (laughs) card? (laughs) Oh my God. Peeking out from under the couch. (laughs) (laughs) The officer quips that it must be big rats, but Mark appeals to Bull, asking him if he's really saying that rats did this. Mark tells him that he has to report this now. He's going to have to take pictures. Bull jumps to his feet, asking Mark not to, but the officer behind him has already started taking pictures with his phone. Bull pleads with Mark, insisting again that they are not going back. He asks for a chance to fix this. He asks Mark to remember that they're one of the good ones. They are not going back. Mark surveys the damage in the walls one more time, fighting his better judgment and concedes that they will let him off with a warning this time. And again, Rial was just sitting on the couch. We're having this meeting. She's not here. Yeah. Hmm. The officer is floored and Bull seems relieved for a moment. But then we hear Rial's cool and calm voice. Did you tell them about the witch? They'd be like, yeah, Robert Eggers burst on the scene. Yeah. <laughs> 2015 with a really, really, really good film. Uh, burst on the <laughs> I'll see you guys later. Uh, I, mean, I look, I was, <laughs> I was terrified at this moment because I didn't know how they would react to it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, we need to clear this away immediately. We're big. We gotta do something. Yeah. We're big horror buffs. <laughs> Like there's not even a TV. In there. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Um, your Taylor Joy. <laughs> Their cord was trashed. Listen, I'll tell you about it. I'll tell you all about it. Would you like to live deliciously? <laughs> she steps into the room, dressed in her scarf and garments worn in her traditional style. She realizes that he hasn't told them and addresses them directly. She says that there is a great beast in this house that followed them. She says that Bull has been chasing it all night with a hammer and it knows great magic. It's filling the house with ghosts and it's tormenting Bull with visits from their daughter. And her husband is very stubborn and thinks that he can still deny what's happening. She advises Mark to put that into his report. Mark eyes Bull. I know what this looks like, man. Yeah. But the rats are really big. They're huge. <laughs> They're lifting weights in there. Yeah. We cut to Mark and the officer walking back to their vehicle. As Rial watches through the window, Mark tells the officer that he better write them up and muses that they can kiss England goodbye. I love that they're doing this in full earshot yeah. from the window. But the officer ignorantly says that Rial was wearing her bed sheets before they both disappear into the car. Rial says that this is what they want. They want them to be crazy because it makes them feel like big men. She says that they just don't want to be reminded that they're the ones that are weak. Weak, poor, lazy, and bored. And sorry. 
When Bull calls her name, she turns on him, telling him that even still, he idolizes these men. He begs them and then thanks them for the unseasoned scraps they throw them. She says that he eats them up as she looks at him with contempt bordering on disgust. She concedes that they just need to let them send them back. Bull protests weakly that this is their home, but Rial tells him that she is leaving and she's going with or without him. Bull points out how quickly she's forgotten everything they went through to get here. Rial starts to say, and how quickly you forget our daughter. But before she can finish the word, Bull clamps his hand over her mouth. The two stare at each other for a long moment before Bull lovingly strokes the side of her head. He tells her gently that she is sick and reminds her that this is their home. He tells her flatly that she is not going anywhere, and we see him going through the house, removing all the doorknobs and handles from the windows. We see through the blurry glass of the front door as Rial realizes that they are now trapped inside. Yeah, I I, I don't want to say that I understand what you're doing, because what you're doing is very dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're locked in here, but how do we get out if something happens? You don't what has been happening yeah and you on one of your exits when you got the shit scared out of you you went outside oh you got yeah when you got stared at by that cat yeah, yeah. <laughs> well you know and you needed some air yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. it's 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 a bad idea yeah and i honestly legitimately don't understand why he's doing this why he's going through these lengths of doing something like yeah. that. yeah i think just desperation no, you're not going to leave, so I'm going to remove any way that you can leave. Like, I mean, I don't... He's flailing. Yeah. Later, Bull lights a candle and places it in the center of the living room. He sits down on the couch and tells the spirit that it's time that it talked to him. The setting sun makes the outline of the window swim across the wall, and before long, the room is darkened by the night. Slowly, as the candle in the center of the room flutters with a new wind, Bull closes his eyes. They remain closed as the wind howls and a shadow moves behind him. Suddenly, a fire is lit in the distance and Bull opens his eyes. He asks, who are you? A deep voice provided by Cornell John replies to him with only one word, thief. The fire crackles and skittering noises of movement echo around him as he demands, show yourself. Bull rises to his feet and moves toward the fire as the voice answers him, reminding him that Bull's life is not his. He stole it. The voice tells him to repay what he owes. Bull tells the voice calmly, you're a beast. But the voice counters that Bull is the beast and he is the butcher. I was like, oh, fuck. That, that was pretty good. It was yeah. so good. I was good. like, okay. It's like he's got quips. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And wherever Bull goes, he promises to follow. He tells Bull in his deep whisper, you are mine now. Behind the fire now, we see a tall figure, its eyes shining back at Bull in the darkness. Bull asks what he wants, and the voice answers, your life for Nyagak. Bull is taken aback by this, and after the sharp but unmistakable sound of a knife being unsheathed, one is thrusted out at him from the darkness. The voice implores him to use it to open up his flesh. Bull's body for Nyagax. Bull looks down at the knife and then back up at the shining eyes, asking the voice why he doesn't just come for him himself. 
Small hands pull the knife back into the darkness. Bull sticks his hand into the fire but is unburned. He holds it there, realizing that the entity can't touch him. He can't touch him or hurt him. Smiling, he mocks the apeth before him, inviting him to make himself at home because pictures can't hurt him. I just want to say, Mm -hmm. how many frightening experiences have you had in this house? Yeah. How you were just having dinner and then you were floating. Yeah. And then you fell into the water and you were almost, no, you were seized. Yeah. Yeah. You almost had your throat cut. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you, he really couldn't breathe. No. When he was being held. Yeah. When he came back, he was trying to capture his breath. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if we're really, I mean, this is a bold and quite, quite honestly foolish yeah Yeah. the powers that we've seen this apeth already yeah and you're gonna mock it yeah Yeah. sorry man i wouldn't (laughs) advise that no i I would not recommend i wouldn't either but i do i did find it interesting that he couldn't hurt yeah the fire like what i was like well well what more is going on here yeah i mean and and it's all the fire could be an illusion i was gonna say but maybe the the fire's not really there but the people that were in the room with him Mm -hmm. I mean, they had him. Yeah. So it's not... And he said, you can't touch me. They were touching. They They were. Quite a bit. They were. So, I mean, I don't know. I will say I love the entire everything of this sequence. Yes. The darkness, the light of the fire, the way everything extends and feels just so massive. Yeah. In this, like, hall and small space. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I just don't... It's it's a lot of things all at once. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Bull laughs and the apeth whispers, why don't you sleep? Suddenly, a previously unseen cloudy sky above Bull flashes with lightning, and somehow he is standing on the sea. The water goes to his ankles and the waves crash around him. When Nyagak begins to rise out of the turbulent water, Bull pleads with the Apeth to stop. He covers his eyes, but an identical pair of arms appear from behind him and pull his arms down, pinning them to his sides. He tries to turn away, but another pair of hands hold his head straight forward. This? Man. Mm -hmm. And again, this is just excellent use of a combination of practical and CG. Yeah. They literally had people behind him doing these things. Yeah, yeah. Then they're removed. The environment is created. The look of that storm. Yeah. Yes. It's incredible. It's amazing, too, because the added hands or the extra hands are bandaged like him. Yes. Yeah. So it's like, it, oh, it it got me. That and, and to think you're standing on the sea, they're coming out of it. Yes. How long until I fall? Ugh. How many of them get on me until I'm under the water? I mean. You know what I mean? Uh, That's yeah. fucking. I hate it. <laughs> But Nyagak stares at him coldly, and Bull repeats desperately that pictures can't hurt him. The girl opens her mouth, unleashing wriggling tentacles, and just as a creature begins to free itself from her lips, it's all over. Rial's face peers at Bull, who is struck silent and staring with tears streaming down his face. He still sits on the couch, and with a glance down at his green chinos, Rial sees that he has wet himself. Pictures can't hurt you, but they can't embarrass you. Yeah. (laughs) Deeply. (laughs) Bull sits, continuing to stare expressionlessly. And seizing the opportunity, Rial starts to put the knob back on the front door. Bull suddenly comes back online, pulling her away and telling her again to stay in the house. 
In their struggle, as he pulls her down the hall, Rial stabs the screwdriver into his leg. Bull falls into the kitchen and Rial quickly closes the door, sliding the handle of a broom between the handle and the door itself, effectively locking Bull inside. He bangs on the door, pleading with her to let him out, but Rial, equipped with a backpack, has already managed to get the window open. She climbs out and runs. This, I, I will say, uh, something that comes up a little bit later. Mm-hmm. As far as what is asked of her and what she is tasked to do. Yeah, yeah. Why doesn't this count? Mm. I was that's, a little... Okay. Yeah. But that's that's literally the only thing, but I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Because you would think, I mean, because that, that was a pretty, I mean, bold attack. Yeah. yeah. So you would think that it would mean something, but it was just for this moment. Maybe right. it's okay, about okay. intention as well. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, because that is a really good question. Yeah, I didn't think about that. When Rial flees from the house, she is not in their yard or even their neighborhood. She's outside of a school. She stops and looks around confused, and a woman comes out of one of the doors, and she and Rial embrace. They hear singing, and the woman pulls Rial into one of the classrooms. It's full of women, singing and cheering and just so happy to see Rial. One by one, they embrace her warmly and emotionally, and Rial clings to them. The singing and cheering ends, and they all sit on the floor together, Rial holding on to the first woman's hand. Across from her sits South Sudanese woman, played by Yvonne Campbell. She looks at Rial with a knowing expression. In a quiet voice, Rial admits to the woman in Dinka that she knows what she is. Fighting back tears, she looks down at her hand, still held lovingly in her friends. Defeated, she says that this is all a dream. Rial asks where she is, and the older woman asks, who? Rial answers, my daughter. In another room, women sing and ululate brightly, but the woman asks her again, who? The rest of the women in the room are no longer smiling at Rial. Through the open door, we see Bull, dressed neatly with his own backpack draped over one shoulder, looking for his wife. In another room, wearing different clothes, Rial crawls out of a closed cupboard. Horrible pops of gunfire echo outside, and Rial freezes in her tracks. Bull enters the room and rushes to her, holding her gently and assuring her that it's okay. He's here. Rial is stunned and unable to speak, but Bull tries to ground her, repeating her name and imploring that she look at him. He tells her that they have to leave now, and when she is still catatonic, he fights back tears, leading her from the room. As they leave, we see the rest of the room now. The women that had been so happy, so full of light and warmth and song, have been slaughtered. Their lifeless bodies lie in heaps on the floor of the classroom. This sequence, and it continues, Mm -hmm. is so frightening and nightmarish and tragic. Yes. Yeah. When we cut into this, I was like, I knew that dream was too happy. Yeah. Because she was in there and everyone was happy to see her. I was like, something's... It's And I think it's the way everything's unveiled. Yeah. And even, I mean, the transition from the window to Sudan. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the transition from that moment to this moment Mm -hmm. and then it just continues yeah it's 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 devastating and hard to watch um even just like the gliding of the camera to show what they're in the room with Mm -hmm. and how real 
survived what happened, it made my stomach hurt because it's like, again, the scariest things it's, it's real. Yeah. And that's kind of one of the things that is very prevalent about this film Mm -hmm. where a lot of the horror, I mean, and look at Riel's reaction to the, the spirits in the house. Yeah. Yeah. So again, she's experienced much more frightening things. So exactly as she said. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But outside, flanked by men with guns, the buildings are looted. Following the pack is a man engulfed in flames, but walking calmly before falling to his knees. We see this from the view of the roof where the couple lies flat, hiding from the men together. I saw an interview where they were kind of breaking down this scene and Wunmi Masaku said that that was that stuntman's first like fire stunt. Really? Oh shit. And that he was extremely nervous, but they that was the first he did it in one take. Yeah. That was it. Well, it's a striking visual. Yes. Yeah. This whole sequence as they march on and continue. Mm-hmm. But that is something that kind of just stays with you. Yeah. That night, gunfire echoes in the distance, and Rial and Bull walk hand in hand. Bull eyes others in the distance, traveling with their belongings. Chape Derisu said that this was the last thing that they filmed in the sequence was them walking at night. And it was, he said that they did not have to act exhausted (laughs) walking this because he's like, we were beat. I bet. But in the morning, they find a cluster of people surrounding a bus. Bull pushes their way to the front. And when the woman inside says that the packed bus is full, Bull demands that she make room for two more. She says that she can't and accepts one more woman and her small child. She tells Bull firmly, children only. As the woman tries to get the door closed, Bull catches eyes with Nyagak. She looks up at him with sad eyes and softly says, Mama. Before he can do anything, a vehicle quickly approaches and gunshots echo. The woman tells Bull that they have to leave now. Only children can come and he is not a child. Thinking quickly, Bull snatches up Nyagak and tells the woman that she is a child. Men in the back of the bus scoot closer together so Nyagak and Bull can sit next to them. Rial looks at her husband with wide eyes from her seat and outside the bus. Nyagak's mother, played by Lola May, calls out for her. When she spots her through the window, she screams her name and Nyagak screams out for her. Bull tries to quiet the child as the bus pulls away, but Nyagak panics, screaming for her mother. People flee in different directions, but the mother continues to run after the bus, screaming for her daughter. She runs until she falls and is enveloped by the dust left behind by the departing bus. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is a lot. Yes. This is when Wunmi Masaku said that she was reading the script. She got here and she couldn't even finish it. She had to go back to the beginning to make sense yeah. of what is happening in the context of what she just realized. Right. And it's all there. It is. It is. And in, up to and including that line that we had talked about earlier. Yeah, yeah. Where Bull literally says we can start a family mm-hmm. because that was never their daughter. Yes. Yeah. See, see, and then here I was like, oh, you did take something that wasn't yours. Yes. yes. So that's why the thing did mark you. Yes. Call, called you a thief. Right. Yeah. Because at the time, it, it for me anyway, it seemed like he was getting along 
Rial wanted to, you know what I mean? She's like, I'll go out and whatever. And he was like, good, good. But I, when she told him that story, I was like, is she thinking that maybe he's getting too attached to this life or he's like, you know what I mean? Like you were saying, T, you're just like, no, we've got to fit in. We got to fit in Mm -hmm. whether he liked it or not. But I was like, oh, does she think that he took that basket that he brought the other day? Mm. Does she think that he is doing this and not telling her? So she's like, look, dude, you're going to get us fucking caught up. And the way that it is perceived at that point, yeah, it could be her saying you're trying to take something that's not yours. Yeah, okay. yeah. But she's literally saying you took something yeah. that wasn't yours. It felt before you realize the context I'm thinking survivor's guilt. Yeah. Okay. Like, why are we the ones that get to have this life? Like, he was like, what makes us so special to get this house? Yeah. Why is it us and it wasn't any of them? That's what I was thinking. And here we are trying to live these lives that don't belong to us in, you know, the context of survivor's guilt. Right. But no, literally, you took something that did not belong to you. And you see her first manifestation of this feeling in the house is them in the back of yeah. the vehicle yeah. where she promised her yeah. that she would protect her. Mm-hmm. And that's what's haunting her. Yeah, And so it's like... And the screaming for mama yeah. and the yeah. repetition of the word. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it is... It changes every, everything yeah. that we've seen, everything that we thought that we understood about everything but it it also does a good job of like once you know that it's like like you said t everything kind of comes into place you're like oh shit and i know when we watched it i like i said i remember us really liking it but then spending the time with the movie i was like damn yeah Yeah. and i was so glad to have forgotten the twist yeah i didn't i didn't remember that 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 was what happened me either i forgot too and it kind of feels like a gut punch at this point in the film Mm -hmm. and it recontextualizes so much that came before it yeah and it really does kind of solidify what we talked about in the intro about what weeks's intention was as far as this gray area of morality exactly Mm. so it's just i mean it is it is a lot yeah yeah back in the classroom sitting on the floor with her friends and the knowing woman Rial looks shaken. Her friend places a hand on Rial's stomach before looking at the older woman and shaking her head. She reports to her, no daughter. Tears running down her face, Rial turns to look at the older woman. We get a flashback of what we saw at the beginning. Bull carrying Yagak to the truck. They're loaded up into the back and Rial wraps her arms around the young girl, promising that she will protect her. On the sea, as the small crowded boat is rocked, we hear a crash and everyone turns behind them to look. In the classroom, sobbing, Rial asks the woman, is she dead? In the sea, Rial is in the water trying to swim after Nyagak, but Bol pulls her back to the boat despite Rial begging him to let her go. Nyagak screams as the waves toss her. In the classroom, the woman grins a knowing grin. In the water, Nyagak floats lifelessly, the moon outlining her small body in the water. In the classroom, Rial completely breaks down as the woman next to her consoles her quietly. The deep voice echoes, I can bring her back. Rial looks up at the older woman as she slides a knife across the blanket to her. The voice continues, sever his flesh, 
Give me his body and I will give you what you want. The other women gaze at Rial with solemn faces, but the older woman's grin is unmoving as she slowly nods. Rial looks back at her. So I guess I'll amend my previous statement about uh, why didn't that count? Mm-hmm. Because I forgot about the request for the body. Yeah. Mm, okay, fair enough. So it's not just a stab in the leg. He wants him dead. Yeah. yeah. And I thought that was really cool because I know we mentioned it about them having different interactions with this demon. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was really cool that this is how Rial is seeing the demon. Yes. This is mm-hmm. what you're seeing instead of what he's... You know what I mean? What he's experiencing. Yeah. So I was like, that's really cool because yeah. why wasn't she afraid? Well, this is why. Yeah. It feels. Damn. Yeah. yeah. It feels like the Apeth is putting all of the onus onto Bolt. Yeah. Yes. And when you see every event that led to the tragedy, mm-hmm. it's like, of course, it's going to appeal to her. Yeah. Because it saw everything. Mm hmm. But we hear rain pattering, and suddenly, Rial is on the ground next to the house, rain pouring down on her face. I did want to say, now that we're back in London town... Um, oh, no. They <laughs> Maybe careful. They <laughs> <laughs> Remy Weeks said that he didn't want any of the scenes in Sudan to feel exploitative. Mm-hmm. Um, he said that he really tried to handle them with care, he did as many scenes or as many um, takes and one long take as he could. And he said that he wanted a lot of the horrific parts of it and the atrocities to happen off screen. Okay. Um, it was still very effective. He said that the scene where they're getting onto the bus, that was the hardest thing that he directed period because they had over a hundred extras. Oh, wow. Damn. And, um, Chope Dorisu said that he kept getting hit in the face with that door when he's trying to keep it open and they're trying to close it. And you see it in the scene a few times. Yeah. And he was like, if that's how many times you saw it, imagine how many times it happened. Jeez. But then he was just getting fucking knocked in the face the entire time they were trying to do that. I do commend that choice. Yeah. As far as what to show and what not to show. Mm -hmm. Because it is about the atrocities. It is about the horror, the real human horror. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But you don't have to be, you know, exploitative or gruesome. Yes. The actions themselves are gruesome. It's enough. Without showing them explicitly. Yes. When Rial wakes up, Bol is carrying her into the dining area. He sets her down on the chair and looks at her coldly before walking away. Rial looks up and sees a sharp knife sitting on the kitchen counter, but she remains seated. Bol joins her, sitting at the chair across the table, and they sit in silence until we hear Nyagak's voice. Mama. Rial looks again at the knife. Bol looks back at her wordlessly, and Rial rises to her feet. She slowly walks into the kitchen and busies herself at the sink. When she turns the tap back off, she hears the sound of the blade. When she turns, Bola is setting the knife down on the table. She rushes to him and sees that he has used it to open the flesh on his arm. He tells her quietly that this is what it wants and it will come for him now. Where did she get that necklace from? I thought she got it from the wall. I didn't even realize that she yeah, was wearing it. Yeah, I didn't it. either. I thought she was just looking at it then. Oh. Oh, so she put it back on once she got it back, or she put it back on now? Because I, 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 I don't have know. To go back. Yeah. yeah, I don't know either. But she's wearing it here. Yeah. Oh. 
Interesting. So yeah. I wonder if she put it on then. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Huh. I will say again with the short runtime of the film. Yeah. I did think that there was going to be some kind of discussion or dispute about what the Apeth asked for. Okay. Mm-hmm. But for Bold to just take it upon himself to do it. That, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because this whole, from this to the ending, it happens so fast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would maybe have liked a little bit more of that. Of like, look, think about what we did. Mm-hmm. But there is none of that. No. <laughs> no, I mean, you get you get a bit of a discussion towards the very, very, very end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's kind of more of just like a summation of this acknowledgement, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So I'm a little, yeah, that is, yeah. That would have, I think made a little more sense mm-hmm. because he wouldn't even let her talk about no. it. yeah that is true he threw his hand over her mouth even yeah and so it's like i don't know there could have been more it's a little yeah. abrupt yeah mm-hmm. but he tells rial let me save her rial sobs as bull's dripping blood pools on the checkered tile bull tells his wife that he should have tried harder and he should have saved nyagak he finally admits that he sees them too. He sees Nagak. He sees all of them from the boat and from back home. He begins to cry. And finally he asks Rial, and what does that make us? She shakes her head, not knowing how to answer. There's a rumbling and Bull tells her that he is coming, so she must go. She kisses him and he implores her, go. Rial rises to her feet and leaves the room, stifling her sobs with her hands. A discarded can on the kitchen floor rattles as the tile shakes and cracks beneath it. Just a shocking thing that I saw in that FX reel. Mm -hmm. The tile, the can, the cracks, all CG. Shut up! Yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah, I would have never guessed. The light fixture over the table blares before going out completely, and in the new darkness of the kitchen, a hole opens up in the floor. The Apeth, naked and tall, and played by Javier Botet, pulls itself out of the floor. This dude is legendary. Mm-hmm. We talked about him. He was the crooked man. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. He's done so much shit. Yeah. And... They talked about him being on set instead of, well, Chape Durisu said that he liked not having to react and interact with a tennis ball. Yes. <laughs> and Remy Weeks, that, that's literally what he said. Thank you. I know you talk about that a lot. Yeah. And Remy Weeks talked about enjoying CGI and loving CGI and being lucky to be able to use cgi but that there being no substitute for actually interacting and reacting to something in the room with you mm-hmm. it's it's just an effective creature yeah the creature i believe was designed by daniel carrasco mm-hmm. i know he's worked with guillermo del toro i know he recently worked on the last voyage of the demeter mm-hmm. mm. like a lot he designed the boogeyman in the recent film the boogeyman Oh, very okay. Nice. So a lot of recent things, a lot of things in the past few years, mm-hmm. creatures that we remember. I I just I'm a big fan of a lot of his work. Yeah, yeah. This creature in particular, I really appreciated. Mm-hmm. I got vibes of both, and this is both Mike Flanagan, but the Canker Man from Before yes. I Wake, and okay. also the Moonlight Man from Gerald's Game. Yeah, I okay. got both of those here. 
for sure. For me, this was more of uh, Mamone from Constantine. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Uh, same bald head. Mm-hmm. They had the weird walk and kind of looked like their skin was rotten off, but not too much. Yeah. It, it looked really, really fucking good. I will say that the Sapath, holy shit, that yes. was fucking scary. I also wanted to reference that abstract from that essay that I read. Okay. Because he had mentioned that the Apeth is, and this is a quote, often conceived as an unfinished or physically defective being that is unable to take part in the normal game of social life. Okay. And first of all, that last sentence is frightening. Oh. (laughs) But it makes sense as to something that it's he's about to do. Yeah. Yeah. And so I feel like this is kind of again calling upon this folklore. Yeah. But also doing your own thing with Mm -hmm. it. Remy Weeks had talked about it and it was on the commentary cast. Apparently the creature, whenever it comes out and you see everything, it was supposed to have a penis. Okay. And it did originally, but then test audiences <sighs> couldn't stop laughing. They're pointing at oh it. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. then let's, I know again, but what did it look like then? I don't, I don't know. I'm just saying, <laughs> did you have a cartoonishly tiny penis? Did you have one that was to his knees that people I'm, were like, it's just like, if you don't need it, I understand. If you don't need it, don't put it in. But if you're going to put a dick in there, let's oh not make it. Let's See, not make you it knew, to where everybody's like, ah, ah. I'm, I'm sure it was a standard regulation penis. <laughs> I, a standard issue? A standard issue I, penis. I, I feel like this is a tense and scary moment and people will take any opportunity yes. to break the tension to laugh. Yeah. And I, I get that for sure. I just think that if we're talking of a more kind of, th- this thing is crawling up out of the earth. It is primal. It is naked. Yeah. It is human adjacent. Yeah. And also from the story that she told him before, the apeth that the person in the story encountered was a person. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, again, we're doing these things and I... test audiences. Yeah. Yeah. And and maybe I'm just a little more defensive because I just don't really like or agree with test audiences dictating anything. Yeah. I agree. And I think that they should have left it in because it kind of makes it more like, um, I don't know, like vulnerable, more like it's not like censoring anything you know i mean i don't know how to how to really explain because it feels like it is kind of censored in what we do see Mm -hmm. um because you you look you know yeah and i i just feel like they were breaking the tension or maybe being a little immature yeah and that shouldn't dictate a creature's design Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. that's a bit much yeah like we got that that one really good movie where it's in the museum that guy's brother was acting up he had that weird dream where he was running down the alley naked uh you know uh his brother was in a basket i mean oh my god (laughs) it was it was in a museum now i'm saying it was at the moma yes he is 100 percent right yeah but um (laughs) of all the connections you know you know (laughs) but here we are here we are belial was mad he (laughs) He was very upset and in claymation too yeah It is interesting that you mention um, the designer working on Last Voyage of Demeter Mm -hmm. because Javier Botet was in that as well. Oh, wow. He was in It, It Chapter 2, Crimson Peak, Game of Thrones. Oh, nice. He'd be doing the damn thing. Yeah. 
Wasn't it? We said um, scary stories to tell in the dark. Yes. Yeah. And um, Insidious. Last key. Yeah. Uh huh. Just busy, busy, busy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But and great at what he does. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you look at the work it's, as the crooked man. Everybody thought that was CG. Yes. Yeah. Because he's that good at movement. Yeah. Like that's that's fantastic work. And I still wanted him to get that movie. I'm still <laughs> sad about that. I will watch it, but I'm thinking about what they did with the nun. I thought that it wasn't oh. happening. I mean, it's not, but if, <laughs> if they but made if it, it did. yeah, I would watch it. I think maybe I got conjuring burnout a little bit, honestly. But it's you wish we're so noncommittal. Yeah, I'll watch it. Maybe, possibly. I'm not watching. It. <laughs> I've decided in mid sentence I won't be watching. It. Now I'll watch it. Possibly, maybe. <laughs> But Bull is knocked to the ground and the Apeth crawls on top of him, its white shining eyes peering down. With a smile, he tells Bull, you are mine. Rial listens from the hallway as the Apeth grabs Bull's arms and digs his fingers inside the wound. He smiles, growls, laughs as Bull screams in agony. Rial is startled when a small hand slides into hers and she looks down to see Nyagak gazing up at her. Back in the classroom, the women sit quietly. We see Nyagak in the back of the truck, departing the village as she clutches her doll and Rial holds on to her. On the kitchen floor, there is no more fight in Bowl as the Apeth continues to ravage him. We see Rial standing protectively behind the child in the truck again before we are back in the classroom. She tells the women in English that she has to go now. A tear rolls down her face as she tells them that she is going home. Back at the house, she lets go of Nyagak's hand. We see the outline of the Apeth's fingers under the skin of Bull's arm as he screams in pain and horror. So I'm like, is he taking his body that's what yeah. he said Whew. but behind the apath rial picks up the knife she comes up behind him and slits his throat spraying bowl with his blood the apath roars and gurgles but rial doesn't let go until he stops moving and she drops him to the floor rial and bowl look at each other gasping for air and it cuts to black so that was easy Mm-hmm. that I think that that's my issue. The decision that she made was not right. The, the arcs that these characters took are huge. Mm-hmm. There should have been more time for that to breathe for bulls decision to sacrifice himself to breathe for real to go back kind of on everything that she's been saying so far in the film. Mm -hmm. It just all feels very abrupt. And the fact that like you were saying, you can just slit the apath's throat and be done with it. Right. I was very surprised. Well, the, it, it is quick the way that I took it because I was surprised when Nagak grabbed her hand. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Oh, so you kept your word. Yeah. I was like, cool. Um, but when she did go and slit the apath's throat, I was like, what happened? You know, what did, are you going back on your like you said, are you going back on your word or yeah. are you like, no, you lied to me because look what you're doing to bowl. And then you were coming at me talking about some peace shit if I killed him. But so I, I mean, the the end result, I guess, would have been the same. Yeah. yeah. The apath claims bowl's body. 
but I, I just, I, I don't know. I feel like there should have been more of, I'm not saying that we need a discussion or anything, no, 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 yeah. but I would have liked to have seen the Apeth address Rial. Yeah. In some way for, but the sneak attack was kind of a surprise to me. Yeah. yeah. And, and for I, it to have worked. Yeah. I mean, I guess the Apeth isn't, it's not a demon. It's a witch. Okay. Yeah. It's okay. sorcery. And yeah. so I okay. guess maybe it is more human than we believed or thought. Yeah. Okay. So maybe then when he figured out and he was like, you can't hurt me. And he's putting his hand in the fire. They needed the Apeth to come out in full form to hurt it because the Apeth is getting into Bull's body. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now you manifested yourself. Okay. Now I can attack you. But we don't know that and we don't get any of that no. explanation. Hmm. So that's just me going off trying to fill in the blanks. And I would love to know more as far as the folklore is concerned. Yeah. Because what if the Apeth needs Bull's body to continue? Yeah. Okay. What if it is going to be Bull? Yeah. Yeah. And then deteriorate as it has. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Huh. I don't either. But an undisclosed amount of time later, there is a knock at the front door when Rial opens it, Mark stands quietly behind suit one and suit two, played by Stephen Blakely and Tabitha Wadey. They tell her that they work with Mark and gently ask to come inside. She says yes, and they follow her in. The hole in the kitchen floor is concealed with a rug, and Mark stands sadly and quietly in the hall as the suits take photos of the walls. The holes have been filled in, and they have started to paint them. A barbecue smokes in the backyard area and Bol and Rial stand by quietly and patiently. When the suits move to another room, Mark tells them that they seem well. He asks if there's still a witch and Bol tells him honestly that Rial killed it. Mark can't help but smile and Rial says with a grin that she thinks she'll paint this room red. Mark asks them if they're completely mad he asks after the rats and Bull smiles as he says that maybe he was just being a little dramatic. I was like, Bull. <laughs> Mark asks if they still see Nyagak and Bull answers that ghosts follow you. They never leave. They live with you. He says that it's only when he let them in that he could start to face himself. Mark looks back at them as Rial insists that this is their home. Bull chimes in that they're happy here. The suits return, telling Mark that they shouldn't be barbecuing back there, and they also shouldn't have done this to the walls. Mark, still looking at the couple with some discomfort, decides that that's enough. The suits thank them, and the three leave. Now alone in the house, Rial and Bol look across the hall. Nyagak stands in the next room, looking back at them. When we see Rial and Bol, they stare back at Nyagak, surrounded by the people from their village. And when we see Nyagak again, she is surrounded by them as well. When Rial slides her hand into bowls, they are alone again. They share a look before staring forward again, united. It cuts to black and the credits roll. So, what did you guys think of his house? But real quick, (laughs) I saw an interview with Remy Weeks on Collider and... One of the people that was interviewing him found the ending to be very optimistic and the other person did not see it that way at all. Mm. Um, And so they kind of asked him what he thought, you know, as the writer and director. Yeah. 
And he said that he does feel that it is an optimistic ending. He says that you don't and can't recover from trauma all at once. And to him, this ending is the beginning of that process and the recovery of their trauma. And so I did like hearing from him that it is, you know, because I can see how it could be interpreted both ways. Yeah. But now what did you think of (laughs) his house? I I really enjoyed the movie. I I felt like we've we've kind of talked about it throughout the movie. Um the little if I don't need, I can't even say gripe, just maybe a little you know nitpick thing, but um the the end is a little quick, but I feel like this it's fine. For me, I enjoy a good little package and let's mm-hmm. get it figure out what's going on, a beginning, middle and end and then you know what I mean, let's go. Um, and I did really enjoy the way it looked, the setting, the characters, the everything was really, really good. I really don't think I have anything bad to say about it. Um, the fucking like all that that really happens that like, you know, we talked about that is the real horror people having to go through shit like that and all that and. But the movie, goddamn, that was real. That was a really, really good uh, movie, and uh, to be like you said, to be on Netflix, just mm-hmm. to come out on Netflix like that. I, I am just kind of, and the more I watch it, because I watched it twice for this, mm-hmm. just blown away by it. And you feel not only the horror of it, but the human horror of it. Yeah, the true tragedy of this kind of a situation Mm -hmm. and i the way that i kind of interpreted the ending is just that at least i saw this film kind of about the things we carry with us yeah and the things that we do and how we bring them with us forever Mm -hmm. and i think that the significance of them holding hands at the end and it disappears mm-hmm. is not to say that it disappears because it's still with us. Yeah. These are things that we've still done. These are people that we've interacted with people that we've wronged. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, it's everything we carry with us, but through love and support, we persevere. Mm-hmm. Okay. We have to carry on mm-hmm. and we face what we've done. You know, we acknowledge it. And so I think that that's, that's my interpretation of that shot. Yeah. And to live with it because they're in this house yes. yeah. with you. And so, I mean, it's just a powerful image. And I love that it can be interpreted in so many different ways. Yeah. That someone can say, oh, the ending is at least optimistic. And someone's like, no, it's, no, it's not. not. Yeah. yeah, That's fascinating. Yeah. And that's what I think art should do. It should provoke. Yes. It should uh, allow for such debate and theorizing and conversation. Yeah. And it really is. I mean, I, I, I really appreciate this film, especially for the lengths that they went to to tell this kind of a story respectfully, mm-hmm. where they do take part and look at the culture, yeah. look at the region, and try to do it in a way that honors the people who actually experience these things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And for it to also be, on top of that, a very effective horror film. It's effective to entertain and it's effective to emotionally impact you. Yeah. No, I completely agree with both of y'all. I feel like this is a really special film 
and the way that it tells its story and the way that real life horrors are so deeply woven in and the way that it is like you were saying T done respectfully. I think that Remy Weeks really did what he set out to do and it was to explore the complexities and how complicated just being a human being is. Mm-hmm. And it is just that simple. It's not what culture or what race or ethnicity or country or socioeconomic group you're representing. It is we are all so different and we have all done things that we are proud of and things that we aren't proud of. And I think that societally we get hung up on things like being a perfect victim and oh, if you will, why will that wouldn't happen to you if you didn't do this and and this isn't that. And it, that detracts from just the human experience and really fully allow, fully allowing yourself to empathize with someone if you are nitpicking them in that way. And I think that it is interesting because Bolt did a horrible thing Mm -hmm. and that doesn't change the atrocities and the horrors that he went through and survived. Those two things are both true. And I, I really hope that the conversation that he wanted to start, it did happen here. I hope that it happened in other houses and in other platforms, because I think this world would be just a lot better if people led with more empathy than what we do. Yeah. Um, but all that being said, the every, everybody showed up. Everyone, you know, the acting is incredible. The way that these felt like real people. I think even Matt Smith and he, again, was not given a lot of screen time. There were there were complexities to even him, which I really appreciated Um, kind of shining a light on this system that really doesn't work the way that it should. Making it emblematic of a lot of systems Mm -hmm. that don't work the way that they should. A lot of people who need the help and aren't getting the help, the commentary on trauma and living with it and it always being a part of you and making it, you know, working and getting to a point where it is just something that lives there and it's not, you know, maybe a hindrance every day. It, it, it's just there is so much there's so much here and I feel like it is done in a very artistic way. I love the surreal moments when they're at the kitchen table and also on the sea. Mm. I love her climbing out of the window in London and falling into Sudan. I, I love shit like that. And it it's it was very, very successful for me. I feel like the only negatives that I have or I wish that for these characters that feel so developed that their decisions made and that last bit didn't feel so abrupt when they are very counter to everything that they've been saying for the film. Um, I loved watching their arcs and I wish that they just felt a little more complete once we get to the, the madness of the ending. Mm -hmm. I would say that, uh, you know, when your critique or your negative point to a film is, I wish you would have given me more of what you were giving me. (laughs) How bad is the film? You know, um, but I would say that that that's my uh, just sliding into ratings here as well. That's my um one critique I would say is the climax of this is is very quick, 
and moving us from the Sudan where it is so emotionally hitting and impactful and difficult maybe it was a favor to kind of wrap it up quickly but I would have just liked a little bit more once we get back to this house in London that final showdown with the Apeth I just would have liked that to I don't know maybe last a little longer or maybe give us a little more conversation or even you know anything just leading up to that okay um but yeah, I, I really, this movie is fantastic. I would recommend it to anyone. I think that what he set out to do with it is very successful. And again, just um, lead with empathy, I would say, is my takeaway from this. It is something that I try to do, and I hope that it, it was able to enlighten some people that watch this. I mean, what more could you hope for? Um, I'm rambling at this point, so <laughs> we're going to wrap it up. Um on a scale from one to 10 grief and guilt fueled ghosts. Okay. I am going to give his house edit out all the pausing that I'm doing, trying to figure out my score. Too. I do it every week. <laughs> <laughs> he really does. Um, I'm going to give his house nine out of 10 grief and guilt fueled ghosts. I think that this film is wonderful. I think that it's brilliant. And I think that it, everybody should watch it. Yeah. But I will now open up the floor to you. Yeah, I, I don't think I need a too much more go over uh, saying that I like the movie. But I I do agree to those moments where we get the transitions from one thing into a dream are done really, 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 really good. Um, a lot of those scenes made me feel anxious in those moments like what the fuck is happening what and and i feel like that is what you you want when a movie can do that and you're still feeling kind of uh you know what i mean you're feeling the effects of it and mm -hmm. then like you're saying with the human aspect the realness of it is like that mm -hmm. in itself is a like, god damn um the movie part of this and the the horror and that's also done fantastic i fucking I again, I do enjoy the runtime of it. That was great. I do agree, though, that maybe just a little more explanation or even just a uh, carry on from the story she told earlier of how she was able to kill it or maybe mm. maybe. A, but this wasn't that this was something different. Oh, then that that's why you didn't believe it or you didn't whatever. Um, but other than that, I mean, shit, I don't really got anything bad to say about this movie. This was a really good movie, a really good find. Uh, I'm glad that Netflix, you know, got the rights and put it on there. Mm -hmm. uh, this is, I don't want to say a clinic, but this is a great fucking movie to watch. And be like, God damn, that was done good. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. um, everything, again, I would never believe if you said this is his first movie. Now I get the fuck yeah. out of here. Like that that was good shit. That was really good. I meant to mention he actually won the BAFTA for film debut. No, well And he should have. Yeah. yeah. Um, but with all that, for me, I'm gonna give his house on a scale from one to ten, grief and guilt fueled ghosts. I'm gonna give his house an eight. I really, really enjoyed the movie. Would I have liked a little more gore and maybe some, yeah, cool, but that's not what this movie is. Yeah. That's not what this movie is at all. Mm -hmm. And the movie is really, really fucking good. 
I agree with both of you completely. I think that um, really the only things that I could add is I just want to highlight again the editing and cinematography, Mm -hmm. the sound design, the score. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's all brilliant. And I think I read somewhere that whenever they were filming the scenes in Morocco with all the women in the school, during their breaks, they would sing in Dinka. Okay. And some of that ends up on the soundtrack. I oh, love, all right. I love that. And so, I mean, there's just uh, so many brilliant moments, so many beautiful moments that are hidden like that, mm-hmm. where you're like, that's where that's from? Yeah. You know, that's just incredible. But I mean, uh, the sensitivity to the issue, the research involved, mm-hmm. the respect to the real people that actually yeah. go through this, um, highlighting so much as far as the systemic failures mm-hmm. and difficulties, and just operating from a place of respect but also at the same time creating and crafting an effective horror film Mm -hmm. right it's all you could really hope for when it comes to horror films containing a decent amount of social commentary Mm -hmm. yeah uh of course highlighting the performances as well brilliant work complicated characters yeah in such a short amount of time yeah i think that's the thing and giving these characters to such talented actors yeah it makes you feel more from the characters than because they really don't spend a lot of time on this development yeah Mm -hmm. but you feel so much through them through these impactful performances yeah Yeah. um as far as the negatives i completely agree it's really just a matter of wanting more time with the characters Mm -hmm. wanting more time and i guess this apath and kind of understanding at the end yeah how this is possible i guess Mm -hmm. yeah how it ends so abruptly maybe give it a little more time yeah a little bit more explanation just about the folklore yeah but even without it you know it it feels it honestly feels like i'm reaching for you know (laughs) yeah but if that's the only real critique i think that's really it Mm -hmm. yeah 85 minutes is a very short time Mm -hmm. and then i think like eight minutes of credits or something Mm -hmm. yeah so i mean i would have liked a little more of that but i mean i think that the message at the end is is very poignant Mm -hmm. and important we encounter so many people in our daily lives. You never know what someone has been through. Mm-hmm. You never know what they're living with and you never know what they're carrying with them. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that is an excellent thing to take away from this film mm-hmm. is to think of that, to lead with empathy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, It's very, very important and very crucial, especially living just living in a society. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so I don't know. I think the film is brilliant, has an amazing message, and it is impactful and one that I will revisit and return to. Mm-hmm. Though there are quite difficult scenes and subject matter. Yeah. Yes. But I do think that it is an important film and I think that everyone really should give it a shot. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. But... <laughs> I thought you were wrapping up. I was like, T. <laughs> <laughs> I, oh, rating you. We said. need a number. Oh, um, so for me, out of 10 grief and guilt fueled ghosts, I will be joining you and giving his house nine grief and guilt fueled ghosts out of 10. It's a tongue twister. I love it. Love it. A lot of G's, but the F is a little strange too. <laughs> 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 just, as a, just as an aside. 
<laughs> just something to think about. Well, thank you for the critique. No, no, it's it's wonderful. <laughs> All of your ratings have always been wonderful. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> Well, that's all from us at Podmortem. What would you rate his house and what should we watch next? Let us know on Twitter at the Podmortem. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and like our Stairhole Productions page on Facebook. Be sure to follow each of us on Twitter at Blood and Smoke, at RealStreeter84, and at TravisMWH. Thank you again to Original Cinematic for sponsoring this week's episode. Please consider pledging to our Patreon where you'll get bonus content like The Corner of Creep and No Sleep and Talk Mortem. Stay tuned until after the music for a special shout out to our Wendigo Getter patrons. And remember, our skeletons don't always stay happily hidden in the closet. The day will come when we are forced to live alongside them. Until next time. Thank you for staying tuned for a special thank you to our Wendigo Getter patrons. Woo! Yeah! Yeah! A special thank you to Chris Ontiveros, Kristen Lofton, Megan Martinez, Kimberly Bass, Sophie Hodson, Anthony Jerome M., Jordan Nash, Kent Morton, Lala Thomas, Travis Anissa Hunter, Miguel Myers ATX, Jennifer Perez, Allison O'Neill, Carissa, TJ and Angie Bronson, Gabrielle Trevino, Spooky Mom, Applin Ontiveros, Karima Rhodes, Antonio Huerta, Kimberly Kleindienst, Will Brown, Sydney Smith, Osvaldo Soto, Bobby Holmes, Donna Eason, J.D. Rezac, Molly Gerhard, Armand Spasto, Aaron Aguirre, Eggie, William Barry, Brittany Ramatar, Charity Oxner, Amanda Six, Mandy Rainwater, Jordan Roberts, Dylan, Jordan Blevins, Liz Heath, Spencer Montavo, Pancake the Panda, John Ramos, Michael Newding, Alexis Roberts, Dan Laveau, Itzy M, Gary Horton, Alicia Olivier, Kate Lamp, Carlos and Sydney, Jessica Hunter, Helena Rudder, Alan Johnston, Mariah, Livy Fun, Scott Troutman Wise, Towton Watson, Mozzie Bear, Brittany G, Dave Burke, Adrian Stakes, Daniel McGinnis, Nick Spill, Emma Hagel Kissinger, Valerie G, Emiliana, Brian Glass, CB, Taylor Santana, Will Lewison, Angelique, Smelly Poo Poo Head, Beth Bauer, Cookie, Esperanza J, Jason Kyle, OKC, Joshua Rumley, Danielle Peralta, Brandon, Nicholas Carter, Sawyer Reese Farr, Dr. Diva Loves Horror, Girl That's Scary, Cassandra, Andrea Simmons, Ashley Higuera, William and Zena Rush, Ryan Brom, Megan Ochoa, Laura Lassiter, Natalie de Guzman, Eileen O, Marissa E, Sydney, Henry F, Megan M, Strangely Sarah, Christy Beck, Nancy and Andy, Amanda Lopez, Andy Terrell, Jason Hanavan, Katie K, Erica Morin, Cameron S, Nicole Stewart, Tris Wynn, K.87, Mariah Jensen, Carrie A, Lonnie Lono, Powell, Kayla E, Maggie H, Fernando Dominguez, Murder Stina, No Thanks Tom Hanks, Kevin McGonagall, Kristen Marcy, Ori81 Boricua, Look Like That One Girl, Bog Boy, Felnez 63, Alita Pui, Probably My Jugs, Kate Thackeray, Wade Pack, A Lizard, Bay J, Jay Rich, Jen Lassiter, Topher Williams, Elena Mettler, Neil Chesson, Valerie Kay, Christy Lee Kruger, Professor of Humanities, Laura McCarricker, Naomi, Josh Smith, 
Autumn Green, Heather Santeano, Abby Kopp, Crystal831, Cassidy Carruthers, Skank Sinatra, Morgan Alexander, Tony Osteen, Julie Fredborg, Rihanna S., Daniel Taylor, Anna Kate, Heather Ortiz, Jen T., Kim H., August, Vengeance Spirit, Sam J. Green, Kelly Glazy Face Mac, Jenny May, Zoe Marie, Glittery Fab, Malik Caselli Armstrong, Scarly D, Toya Shea, and Katie. Thank you all so much. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you so much. We appreciate you all. Very much. So much so that y'all are always welcome in the His House. Ah. <laughs> the team is a little weird. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time.